Hello, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. My guest today is Joe Allen. He is the author of The Dark Eon, and he is known as the transhumanist editor on The War Room. And I thought today we would talk a little bit about, I, I saw him do a tweet about how a lot of the transhumanists are not fans of the World Economic Forum. And I thought that was kind of fascinating because that's kind of contrary to what a lot of us think. So we're going to talk about that and other stuff. How are you doing today? Good, Courtney. Good to be here. Good to speak with you in person. Yeah. Instead of through the, the digital slime. I know. <laughs> we prefer this. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful we have that and, uh, you know, that opens up a lot of possibilities. But yes, this is always preferred. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the world we live in, right? The brackish water we swim in. Yes. Yes. So you were telling me the story. I actually had no idea of how you became the transhumanist editor, if you will. Uh, transhumanism editor. A transhumanism. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, not the trans, you know, you know, who knows, at a certain point, uh, after doing so many hours of digital <laughs> interviews and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, posting online, maybe I, the accusation will be correct. I will be the transhumanist editor. I'll be transhuman. <laughs> well, I, I might be by I kind of hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, um, I, I there's, it, there's a lot of different routes you could take to that mm-hmm. tale. Uh, people oftentimes ask, you know, what got you into yeah. technology as a subject, but it's right. really like, since I was a teenager, uh, I've always been as for as long as I can remember as a kind of conscious, um, you know, even kind of, uh, post or pubescent kid fucking angry and, um, uh, rebellious. I thought that technology, in general, as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, was more a source of stupefaction and social control mm-hmm. than uh, a tool for our uh, betterment. But as I was telling you before, like what really got me uh, into the topic of transhumanism uh, after the first forays. First forays were uh, in uh, my early 20s, reading people like Ray Kurzweil, mm-hmm. uh, reading books like Technosis, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Davis, those had a huge impact. But then I thought, well, this is amazing as far as this uh, set of ideas, basically right. people talking about science fiction as if it was already real and would be very, very much real in the future. Right. But I dismissed it. I thought it was silly. Uh, I wrote about transhumanism a bit uh, around 2010, 2011, again, just kind of mocking the ideas of mm-hmm. Ray Kurzweil uh, at that time had just done his, uh, or I just come across that hilarious bit he did uh, with Ramona. Do you know what I'm talking about? His alter ego. Yes. And uh-huh. um, you know, so I've just taken the piss out of him uh, on that. Uh, but you know, his ideas freaked me out, but I, some part of my mind just said, well, this is, this is silly, so compartmentalize this as a possible yeah. future. And it still stays there, really. The singularity stays in the back of my head as a possibility, but not a uh, an imminent possibility. It's more the ideas that I think are, are important. Mm-hmm. The idea of a singularity driving decision-making, even driving uh, public policy, certainly driving investment, um, that is really, really important. But uh, transhumanism as religion... Uh, it's pretty clear in Kurzweil's work that there's a religious element, but it's not made explicit by him. Uh, 2014, I was thinking about going back to uh, school to get mm-hmm. my graduate degree. I right. hope to become a professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I had underestimated how PC the academy uh, had really become. I yeah. thought maybe there'd be room for a 
monster like me, but uh, <laughs> I went to the meeting, the annual meeting of the American Academy of Religions in San Diego, 2014. Mm -hmm. I'd just come back from the uh, Mexico City where I was working with UFC, so it was kind of a, an interesting change of pace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, went to uh, the transhumanism and religion sections. The talks were pretty boring. The papers were really dry. Yeah. Uh, there was one guy talking about the possibility of the possibility of AI being saved. And as academics are wont to do, he would be speaking normally and then say, rapprochement, and then go back to speaking in normal Midwestern yeah. English. That whole culture irritated me. But I was speaking to some of those guys after yeah. their talks and had, you know, hours long, very stimulating conversations about how technology is being seen in a religious light and how uh, religion is being shaped by technology. And it, it's really it rekindled that interest. Um, I, you know, that one, maybe that night or the next night, one of the nights I uh, met the Boston University religion and science uh, crew, including uh, who would be my advisor at uh, Boston University, Wesley Wildman. I do this every now and then. You've known me well long enough to know I uh, had plenty of the free wine and um, got a little loose <laughs> and uh, told one of their grad students uh, that he was an idiot and said a number of things that I probably shouldn't have said. And I figured that was it. It was blown. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> but uh, they eventually reached out to me. I got a full ride to Boston University to study uh, cognitive science, evolutionary science, mm -hmm. uh, as it pertains to religion. And the one of the real shockers, I didn't work much directly, directly for the think tank associated with Boston University's religion and science department right. or track, really. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, it, it was called um, uh, the Center for Mind and Culture. And I, I worked there a bit. I certainly I met with these guys all the time. I go to their uh, meetings, their presentations. I, you know, studied side by side with the, these guys. So it was always a topic of conversation. Okay. It's where I met Justin Lane, who um, an Oxford trained AI expert who really gave me my start understanding the nuts and bolts of mm -hmm. how artificial intelligence really works. Right. And they had um, a, a program of a number of programs. The one that uh, is maybe most pertinent, uh, the modeling religion program, uh, the research program, mm -hmm. and they used artificial intelligence to model religious psychology, to model religious social structures, uh -huh. to predict uh, th everything from the potential for religious violence to predict uh, vaccine uptake, like what communities would be more or less likely to uh, take vaccines mm -hmm. and, uh, and just a number of different areas and wow. so you, you remember that old game sim city yeah i do like a super advanced sim city with a really poor graphic interface but i thought sim city was like so dystopian <laughs> i well i just thought the impacts of that were going to be really really devastating uh, I, you know ultimately i suppose you could say they are yeah uh, you know especially uh, if you have played the new Sim City, which is super addictive and super lame. I haven't not, seen it. Not that I have. I've never <laughs> oh, touched no. it. I just hear, <laughs> hear stories. But anyway, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was, uh, you know, it was a winding path. Yeah. Uh, but Steve 
uh, Bannon reached out to me, uh, 2021, uh, almost a year ago now in mm-hmm. uh, March of 2021. And he'd been reading articles I'd, I'd written for the Federalist. I was doing a series on mm-hmm. technology and I went a lot into transhumanism Yeah, and, uh, saw it, liked it, asked me to come on board and life has not been the same. Yeah, no, so. I, I can imagine it has not. <laughs> wow. So a lot of people, I mean, like the reason you know I was talking about the the WEF and the the transhumanists. I mean, it seems I always say how I feel like they're the they the proverbial they. I call them the parasite class. It seems like their goal is to put us all in a transhuman, leading to a posthuman. And I mean that literally. They have these handbooks on posthumanism, uh, and I've learned that apparently they have a few. I actually thought it was only one, but there are a few of these books, and they call them handbooks on posthumanism. And then uh, you know have a, you talk about the singularity, to have a Heiberg mind that they program and have us all siloed in a metaverse, which looks like it's going to be this AI world society that will be in Ukraine as the epicenter. Yeah, was it called Doma? I think it is. Yeah. Like yeah. And then it's connected to all of these other, uh, you know, smart cities, C40 cities all over the world. And, uh, you know, that we, we've seen that. They're building those. So, it seems like you would think that the people who are, you know, in bed with this agenda are people like the World Economic Forum. And so therefore they would be big proponents of transhumanism. But you you were saying that the transhumanists are not necessarily fans of them. Uh, not a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, it's, it's complicated. It's, yeah. uh, I think it's really important to look at the political and social elements Mm -hmm. that go into these ideas of what to do with technology. But it's a wide variety. The the technologies themselves sit over top of multiple political persuasions, multiple societies, religious Mm -hmm. ideas, religious Mm -hmm. worlds. Uh, And then, of course, the extreme ideas of what to do with those technologies also sit on top of multiple political persuasions and and cultures, societies. So a, a couple of examples that would uh, maybe bring this to light in a, a clear way, yeah. Peter Thiel. Yeah. Uh, Peter Thiel has, he's very libertarian and in that mm-hmm. sense, maybe socially liberal. I mean, obviously he's mm-hmm. got a husband mm-hmm. and all of that. So it's it's not exactly like he's a hardcore social conservative, but he is certainly in that milieu. He's mm-hmm. funded so many different Republican causes and candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, you've got uh, uh, Blake Masters, you've got J.D. Vance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the campaigns they ran uh, a couple years back were uh, heavily funded by Teal. Mm-hmm. And Vance is very much a social conservative. And uh, Teal is, without a doubt, a transhumanist. You know, he's yeah. he's been, he was part of... Um, the what's now the machine learning research center center. I think it was called the singularity Institute when he was involved. Oh, wow. Um, and he was very close to them. And, uh, you know, he's been famously interested in things like parabiosis. It's unknown whether he's actually taken the, the, the shot, right. Parabiosis, the, the, the vampire blood injecting, um, plasma from younger donors to, to keep you young. Mm-hmm. But uh, anti-aging up to the point of functional immortality has been an openly declared d- desire on his part. A lot of different genetic 
research companies, including like the Methuselah Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, founded by uh, uh, Aubrey de, uh, Aubrey de Grey, who uh, you know the the primary goal is to alter human genetics and various other methods to become functionally immortal. Uh, Thiel also famously um, was the the founding uh, investor and 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 board member of Palantir. Mm-hmm. And uh, while Palantir is not necessarily a transhumanist project in an overt way, it is one of the most sophisticated and powerful AI systems or the AI companies because of the the wide array of uh, sophisticated security systems that yeah. they've produced. Uh, if you want to talk about using AI to control or kill people, mm-hmm. uh, Palantir would be one of the first places to look as to how that's being done. Well, and also I think a lot of the, uh, if you're going to implement some sort of a social credit type of system, they have all the data for that and all the metrics for uh, controlling. So, So, uh, and uh, Teal also was a a founding investor in Neuralink. And then Mm -hmm. uh, he and Elon Musk kind of uh, had a falling out, at least as rumor has it, certainly parted ways. And then he went on to fund the uh, BlackRock Neurotech, which Mm -hmm. is Right now, they have more advanced brain-computer interfaces in people's heads than any other company. So P- okay. Peter Thiel, mostly right-wing, mm-hmm. um, mostly nationalist, although he seems also to be interested in maybe you know buying islands to, to create libertarian paradises and not worry about us lowly uh, humanoids on the, the continents. <laughs> but um, yeah, and he would be a really good example. And there are many, many others. Uh, Mark right. Andreessen. Uh, he's maybe not overtly transhumanist, but his techno optimist manifesto is very much in that direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, the manifesto itself is like fifty or I'm sorry, five thousand words. It's quite long, but um, it, you know, so there's a lot of different elements, a lot of them economic, but sure. primarily the techno optimist manifesto primarily is geared towards accelerating technological development to the point of being transhuman. There's language in there about becoming uh, symbiotically partnered with machines. Uh, One of the many declarations, sort of statements of belief, you know, we believe that artificial intelligence is our philosopher's stone. We are making sand think. Uh, And at the end, there's a a list of patron saints of techno-optimism. And uh, among them are two figures that I think are really important. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, mm-hmm. uh, whose uh, law of accelerating returns is referenced in the manifesto itself. Ray Kurzweil is on this fairly short list of patron saints. And Kurzweil is, uh, in many ways, the arch transhumanist, even if he kind of distances himself from the term. I mean, he is He's at the center. The, yeah. the idea of the singularity is at the center of transhumanism, whether a transhumanist is for it or against it. And then um, another figure who I think is really interesting. I've only written about him a bit. I wrote him about I wrote about him in my book, mm-hmm. um, or at least his movement, effective accelerationism. And that is a guy, um, Guillaume Verdun, mm-hmm. who, if you're familiar with the effective acceleration of accelerationist movement, uh, he really started it and pushed it forward under the name uh, Beth Jezos. Uh, his Twitter handle is at based Beth Jezos. Oh, funny. And so you can see like uh, and he's at the top of the list because right. of the alphabetical order, really. Yeah. But he's at the top of the the list. And he's really, uh, I think, I don't know what the direct connection is with Mark Andreessen, the, mm-hmm. the billionaire investor. Uh, but uh, 
he, the accelerationism is a, a term that Peter Thiel uses a lot. Mark Andreessen uh, mm-hmm. uses a lot. And uh, effective accelerationism is, you could say, if you want to break it into right and left, as, as slippery as those terms are, uh, effective accelerationism would be the right wing of the new transhumanist movement. Can you explain why? Yeah, what is... Um, okay, uh, yeah. real quick, yeah. uh, two, two different distinctions to make uh, four different categories, transhumanists and posthumanists. Right. Transhumanism, seeking to go beyond the human but retain most human characteristics, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes transhumanism. And some human biology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's certainly the human form. You right. know, uh, Kurzweil has got this wild vision of, a, you know, multiplicity of types of beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though for him, because human beings created the AI systems that will then seed the galaxies with computronium, uh, the the human element will always be sustained in it. You know, it's kind of a, a founder effect. But uh, it doesn't seem that way to me, by the way. Even if you just extrapolate forward these like wild mutations and in, in memes and in, in digital forms and all that, it seems like it will be very non-human very quick. In fact, even the human-looking uh, forms that we see already of people that are fused with their phones seems you know less than like human just to the me. cybernetic yeah i mean they look pretty robotic already i agree but uh in general transhumanism is could or should be con- uh, limited to those who want to use technology to uh, augment and enhance human beings up to a certain point mm-hmm. they oftentimes talk about artificial intelligence not as uh, an all-powerful deity that will either subsume them or replace them so much as artificial intelligence being used as a, a tool to turn them into demigods. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps, you know, as you slide along that scale, artificial godlike artificial intelligence uh, still, you know, maybe being the kind of center of uh, power in any given culture or society, but human beings still being an integral part of it. And guiding the system. Elon Musk would be a good example of Mm -hmm. a popular figure. So transhumanism, posthumanism, posthumanists are just completely reckless and irresponsible. They just would, you know, they openly uh, would like to see humanity be a bridge uh, across to something that's uh, totally non-human. Martin Rothblatt, I think, probably fit that most of the time. Maybe not not in all of his, her, their writings, whatever. Um, (laughs) But that would be a good example. And then. You've, so you've got the transhumanists and the, the posthumanists, people like Peter Thiel, people like Mark Andreessen, uh, to a lesser extent, but people like Beth Jezos, Guillaume Verdun, uh, they would be on the transhumanist side. They want to you know, still kind of, at least in the near future, push humanity forward. Certainly Max Moore, who will okay. be maybe important to talk about in a moment. Uh, then in the new crop, of transhumanists. Uh, they oftentimes don't use the term. In fact, many people that I call transhumanists don't use the term, which irritates the, the people who don't call themselves transhumanists and has irritated Max Moore, who basically coined transhumanism in its modern usage uh, and who says, you know, this what you're talking about isn't transhumanism. The World Economic Forum isn't transhumanism. Our group is transhumanism. We'll get back to that if okay. you want to, but... Um, in this new crop, and there's tons and tons and tons of them, uh, they go by all sorts of different names, uh, yeah. optimalism, long-termism, so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. the two camps that I, I think are really interesting, 
you've got the effective altruists. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask about them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, really well-funded, um, classic uh, public example of an effective altruism, uh, effective altruist would be Sam Bankman fried with yeah. FTX, the, the defunct cryptocurrency pyramid scam. Yep. Uh, but yeah. they were a big part they of this. They funded him like really early. They basically like groomed him. Yeah. The effective altruist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and most of that coming out of Oxford, right? Mm -hmm. People connected to Oxford. And, uh, but uh, Sam Bankman fried would be a, a, a classic uh, case of, of what happens when effective altruism goes bad. They, they all had these crazy high ideals that they pushed forward, but apparently they were uh, neither it's effective nor altruistic. It's essentially uh, like Carnegie's uh, Gospel of Wealth rebranded. Uh, yeah, you know right? what? That, that's a really, uh, I think that's a really good comparison. Absolutely. Right. Um, because, you know, the gospel of wealth is no gospel. No. <laughs> uh, plenty of wealth, I guess. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the effective altruist in that little camp just turned out to be a degenerate polycule. It, it fizzled. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think um, another really important effective altruist would be uh, would be William McCaskill. Mm -hmm. uh, that comes out of Oxford too. And um, he was Sam Bankman Freed's mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, his book, What We Owe the Future, is in many ways a distillation of both effective altruism and kind of rebranded as long-termism, same mm -hmm. basic thing, hyper-utilitarianism, maybe the most, uh, fu the, the funniest and, and, and also most terrifying idea they put forward is that human beings owe the billions or trillions of future digital uploads, you know, digital minds as much as they owe people who exist right now. Mm -hmm. That true utilitarianism would take the future into account. And in the future, it's possible that the digital minds will out, outnumber human minds. Mm -hmm. And so the decisions we make today should altruistically affect these future minds, which means make a, a world that is uh, conducive to. AIs to digital brains to the digital minds that Mark Benioff was referencing in his uh, session at the World Economic Forum uh, back in January. And McCaskill's important as mm -hmm. uh, a figure in effective altruism and long termism. He's also important because Elon Musk was very much influenced by his yeah. work. So um, and, and people are in and around him. Right. Um, Nick Bostrom, author of mm -hmm. Superintelligence. Oh, yeah. Uh, really the guy who uh, painted the, the darkest picture of what would happen if AI went out of control and killed everybody and, you know, explored all the different paths. Uh, he was a kind of founding member of the, the long-termism mm -hmm. movement. The, he was a founding member of the World Transhumanist Association, from which uh, a lot of these ideas kind of uh, percolated up into these new forms. So I've gone on a long time about this, but mm -hmm. the, the important thing to remember, yeah. so effective altruism, if you're going to go left and right, and just, yeah. we'll just use a very, 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 very generically, because it, it doesn't really make sense traditionally. It doesn't yeah. bear much uh, resemblance to, uh, you know, uh, France, uh, you know, in the revolutionary period. <laughs> uh, it just we've come a long way. Yeah. But um, if you want to we'll, we'll do it for simplicity's sake, put the effective. I think it's serving the same dialectical purposes it did then, though. <laughs> OK, fair enough. Um, you put the effective altruists on the left and then on the right coming at them from the right are these effective accelerationists. Okay. Uh, I don't really know the backstory for uh, Guillaume Verdon as far as his, you know, like how many people are kind of funding and boosting his work. Right. The reference from uh, Mark Andreessen and his listing on that 
patron saint, the list of patron, patron saints of technical optimism tells me there's probably some money involved, but I, you know, I don't know. Right. Uh, but you know, uh, Verdin was, you know, he's a, a physicist, quantum physicist. He's obsessed mm-hmm. with, uh, the vision of the future from first principles, the first principles of, of physics. Um, he's uh, obsessed with the, you know, human uh, developmental milestones as a species going along the, the with the Kardashev scale, you know, from uh, single planetary to harnessing enough, uh, uh, in, harnessing the energy of the sun and then going multi-planetary and, you know, galactic and all of that. Right. And so they, 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 they have these dreams of the really the same vein coming through transhumanism and posthumanism, mm-hmm. these dreams of using technology to create new life, new consciousness mm-hmm. uh, in the original effective altruist, uh, the effective accelerationist manifesto. They talk about extending the light of consciousness through artificial intelligence into the world. Uh, Beth Jezos or Guillaume Verdin has uh, many times said that he, uh, that, the continued existence of human beings is perhaps irrelevant mm-hmm. as long as we are around long enough to create AI systems that can then seed the, the, the universe, then that's all that really matters. And after that, our, our job is done. He also openly talks about effective accelerationism uh, in terms of religion, that it is uh, a positive materialist narrative uh, what you know, call like a metaculture or meta religious narrative, but also a self contained religious narrative that's intended to kind of confront hopeless atheism and nihilism and replace it with a positive vision. And as you can see in the name, based Beth Jezos, and if you, <laughs> you look at his account, you see a lot of uh, Pepe the Frog, like AI generated Pepe the Frog memes where they're like futuristic cyborg Pepe's. Uh, he's also coming from through the the kind of tradition of the alt right mm-hmm. and uh, you know the anti PC anti woke uh, pro capitalism big time pro capitalism yeah. big time kind of pro elitism uh, you know for him it's kind of a Nick Land accelerationism that you know techno capital will just accelerate to the point of a, a singularity itself but that goes along with crypto that goes along with AI so. I uh, know that was. Uh, I, I hope the listener hasn't got lost in all these names and this this, this, this stew. But uh, the, the, I guess maybe the important point here is that it is a stew of all these different political persuasions and ideas. And so, what we would call transhumanism or even technocracy uh, isn't, it, from what I can see, exclusively left wing or right wing. It's not mm-hmm. exclusively globalist or nationalist. Uh, it encompasses uh, all of those as far mm-hmm. as all the individuals. And maybe you could say that uh, the predominant strain of transhumanism is is really libertarian. Uh, and so someone like Max Moore would say that people at the World Economic Forum are basically just biting his style and he don't like it. Wait, say that again? Uh, that, oh, well, so Max Bye. Moore... Mm-hmm. Again, um, you know, coined transhumanism. He says independently of Julian Huxley. Uh, okay. I, some of the first references you'll see to Julian Huxley being the first to arrive at it actually appear in his uh, history of transhumanism. And mm-hmm. uh, his, his wife, actually, Natasha Vitamore, I think, was the one who discovered it in their group. Um, if that's the case, it's pretty astounding uh, convergence. But one way or the other... And I, you know, there's no reason, to, you know, I, I'm saying that as if I suspect him of lying. It's, it's not that. Uh, just to say that's mm-hmm. an astounding convergence, right? Sure. So Max Moore, coining the, the coiner of the term transhumanism, I 
been in contact with him uh, before we did a debate mm-hmm. uh, for Humanity Plus. Uh, they're very pleasant uh, communications, very friendly. Um, and then the debate between he and I, anyway, Natasha uh, got pretty uh, angry and hostile at times. But between he and I, you know, it's civil, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and but one of the things that really came out, I knew he was a libertarian, but I didn't realize the extent to which he really is not in any way pro-globalist, certainly not pro-socialist, certainly not pro-centralized technocracy, uh, does not believe in the singularity, does not think that mm. the singularity, I, I knew this, but, you know, it's like he was really adamant. He, he read my book. He said, I, you know, you represented my viewpoint, uh, my personal viewpoint, yeah. um, uh, very honestly, but you've associated me with all these different things that I'm not associated with and transhumanism, which he wants to hold on to, right, mm-hmm. and maintain is not appropriate for Yuval Noah Harari. It's not appropriate for Klaus Schwab. Uh, it's not even appropriate for Ray Kurzweil. This, 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 we are the transhumanists. We're the real transhumanists. Real transhumanism hasn't been tried yet. Uh, yeah, um, but, <laughs> that was my thought as well. But, you know, and I interviewed him. Uh, the interviews should be released uh, okay. very soon. I interviewed him in person in uh, Arizona not that long ago. And mm-hmm. again, uh, you know, it, it, I gave him a chance since, you know, he's a, a, the, 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 at the opening of my book, his definition of transhumanism and, and, and throughout the book, his ideas on transhumanism are present, gave him a, an opportunity to just voice his side. Mm-hmm. And the three things, again, that he really is hitting home on four things. One, I am, he's, he is not pro-woke. Uh, or mm-hmm. lefty, and right. certainly not uh, the the transgender end of it. Not that he's opposed to transgender people or anything. He's just opposed to the imposition of pronouns. He's opposed to the kind of propaganda around it, right. and he, he doesn't see it as being what transhumanism is. Whereas Martin Rothblatt would have something very different to say about right. that. Uh, maybe Ray Kurzweil, definitely Ray Kurzweil as well. Uh, and then the second thing, not pro globalist, very much an individualist, and to the extent that you have communities, very much kind of a I would say a tribalist, right? right. But, uh, but in the libertarian strain, you know, kind of yeah. you know, wealthy, uh, tech-savvy people banding together against the stupid masses, right. that sort of thing. Uh, but he doesn't really want to control the masses. He doesn't want to have much to do with the masses. He, tell, he tells me he would rather live in space than be around uh, stinking uh, human beings. Um, and uh, that's my term, not his. Anyway. <laughs> but, um, and then also just the, the, the general... Uh, association with the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obvious that, like, for instance, uh, Klaus Schwab's Fourth Industrial Revolution, that that mm-hmm. is uh, tr- corporate transhumanism. They're yeah. taking all those ideas. You've had a lot of open transhumanists come speak at the World Economic Forum, Zoltan Istvan, uh, Hugo de Garris, mm-hmm. um, and then people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves transhumanists, but obviously are uh, guys like Kai-Fu Lee, mm-hmm. uh, guys like Parag Khanna, uh, yeah. All of those guys are definitely transhumanists. And then you've got guys like Yuval Noah Harari, who I wouldn't put in the transhumanist camp, but I would definitely say that his work is, uh, you know, when he call, when he talks about techno-humanism and dataism, he's just, you know, really just repackaging mm-hmm. transhumanist and post-humanist ideas. Yes. So uh, Max Moore wants no part of that, though. And he, here you have a, like a founding, maybe you could argue the founding uh, right. uh, transhumanist. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of it. The way I put it to him and uh, his wife Natasha Vita Moore, uh, in, in their opposition to how things are going, I was like, it's like you guys are Sid and Nancy, and uh, you're you're watching from uh, 
I guess hell, uh, as Green Day <laughs> takes the big stage, right. you know, and that's what it's like with the world I can for. It's out of their hands now. You know, punk yeah. rock is no longer Sid, Sid and Nancy. Punk rock is now Green Day. And right. so in the same way, transhumanism is no longer uh, the, these embattled individualists and kind of, uh, you know, dis, uh, dissident mindset people. Uh, transhumanism, at least as it's as it's playing out in in the, the, the broader scheme, you've got the World Economic Forum, and 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 and, and the, at least as the ideas are generated, and, and to some extent the policy proposals are generated, and the and money the is being exchanged, huh. and the UN, and and the UN, uh, and then on the other side you've got the anti-globalist uh, capitalists who more insists are not paying him, you know, are not paying him any money, certainly not enough, and that would be like the the Mark Andreessen's and the Peter Thiel's uh, and, and to a large extent, maybe Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I, I didn't, I didn't know most of that. And all I can think is that there's, there's always like the, these rogue kind of uh, mad scientist type of, um, you know, I, I don't want to be pejorative towards uh, individualists because, you know, I, I support that. But they're the people who take it to the extreme. Right. You know, the like, I want no part of humanity. I'm going to Mars and leave them. Yeah, that that yeah. kind of a mindset. Um, and that 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 always exists. And those are typically going to be the people who will uh, pioneer very radical uh, types of you know, whether it be technology, ideas, a combination thereof. It, it would be those. But they're also the people very ripe to be uh, co-opted to promulgate a narrative that will, you know, that will it appear like it's a, a contrast, but, you know, really it's just a dialectical progression of the same agenda. And I could see, and I'm not saying this is the case, but, you know, I could see a very convenient, uh, you know, positioning of these types of individuals who are more, uh, libertarian leaning, more individualistic, um, you know, anti anti globalist, possibly even anti nationalist. You know, just really more individually minded and very capitalistic. Um, but I could see how that would be a whole new market to get people on board with the ultimate agenda, which is a transhuman leading to a posthuman agenda. And I understand that there's different. You know, there's nuances. They don't all agree. Like, you know, you pointed out, they're not all posthumanists. They're, you know, there's definitely different camps. But the people who uh, want to control the world, arguably, you know, I think the people who want to uh, create a neo-feudal system that's run by technocracy, I think for them, they that is what they want. That That's their... So, and then that would be a useful way to position whether or not they control them directly or whether or not they even have levers of power over them. It's still yeah. narratives that they can uh, use to serve their end goals. Well, one, one way or the other, uh, you know, World Economic Forum seems to like the, the narratives coming out of the World Economic Forum, the policy proposals, mm-hmm. the, the overarching principles uh, that are espoused there with some dissent, not much, mm-hmm. uh, is, is one of control. Mm-hmm. It's one of uh, ways of managing society in a technocratic right. fashion. Right. Uh, with the libertarians, it's, it's about controlling certain markets. It's about yeah. uh, controlling certain populations, mm-hmm. but not everyone. But ultimately, it's about global domination. So if, if, if put it in a real simplistic binary, on one side it's about global control, 
and the other side is about global domination. Either way, we end up uh, under the boots of people who yeah. don't necessarily have our best interests uh, at heart. I, I don't know whether I, I perceive kind of a, a unified attractor yeah. one way or the other. Maybe it's Satan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, some, uh, you know, godlike Omega point, as Teilhard mm-hmm. de Chardin would say. And if so, okay. then uh, I got I got issues with this cosmos. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want the chip. Uh, not not this end, not the other. Uh-huh. I don't want it. Uh, but. <laughs> You know, or maybe it is, uh, you know, more centralized and incestuous uh, sources of finance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in some ways, I'm not saying it doesn't matter whether it's one or the other, yeah. or maybe all of the above in some way. Uh, it, 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 what's important to me is that these visions are converging, whether it's due to uh, tendrils that you can trace back to one uh, evil hobgoblin-like wizard uh, on earth uh, or one demonic entity in the future or Mm -hmm. in some abstract way the various possibilities of what the future could be and the dreams about those possibilities bubbling up and just converging on a world in which ai is uh, a dominant if not the dominant you know agent in the world in which human beings are in fact fully integrated into their technologies uh, in which the you know whatever is left of our biology is is uh, edited genetically willy nilly you know kind of to you know to taste that that kind of world I think is not only aesthetically displeasing but it's you know and, and horrific in in terms of what kinds of monsters we would end up becoming but also mm-hmm. probably not all that wise yeah you know uh, oftentimes like radical shifts in history uh, don't end up being sustained for long periods of time uh, they end up being delusional there's a mass body count in their wake so i'm not you know i'm unenthusiastic one way or the other uh, but yeah. it, it does certainly form whether it's whether there's a puppet master or not right. these guys do form left and right figures that are driving towards some something like that vision yeah uh and so it doesn't matter if the left is completely crushed if the, exactly. the people who rise from those ashes uh, are going to do basically the same thing with a different different uh, flavor and a different political persuasion. Yeah, that's exactly um, what it looks like. And I think it would be very appealing to get a lot of the, because a lot of the individualists are going to be more likely to be dissidents. But if you sell it to them as this is just enhancing, you know, if you essentially appeal to their narcissism, yeah. it would be a very Gnostic kind of a perspective, but you're appealing to them, wanting to enhance them and, you know, be the greatest they can be. And uh, if you sell it to them in a package that this is not tied to that greater, you know, globalist uh, agenda, then you've got a whole bunch of people who are on board. But then if you're creating things like the Internet of Bodies, then once they're hooked in, they're hooked in. That's right. <laughs> That's the way I see it. I, I, again, it's kind of delusional. Um, I can't speak for Max Moore on this. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I do know, for instance, Zoltan Istvan. Uh, also more libertarian, but also has a lot of liberal ideas, mm-hmm. such as the the idea that the trans, the gay, and then the trans rights movements were, are precursors to cyborg I think, rights. I think, well, and I think that this, uh, not necessarily the you know uh, trans itself, but I think that the movement is totally like a stepping stone to the 
the transhuman movement. I mean, once you once you've like destroyed any kind of concepts of even just basic archetypes of yeah. male, female, right? Like you you've got a hybrid. Then what difference does it make? We merge with machines or merge with whatever. You know what? Something I I don't want to tie it too tightly to one historical uh, movement or figure, okay. uh, but Descartes. You know, yeah. disenchantment of, of or de-enchantment of the world, yeah. and this mechanization of of the universe. Uh, it really goes a long way, I think, to explaining where we're at, uh, and and the the breaking down of barriers that you see in in postmodernism, and you see in the in the trans movement, that you see in the animal rights movement, that you see in transhumanism. This breaking down of the conceptual barriers first. Yep. And then as things really move forward with like human monkey chimeras being grown in little test tubes and uh, with, uh, you know, uh, you know, human beings physiologically altering themselves to appear externally like the opposite sex. Uh, and, and then, of course, human beings becoming more and more digitized and robotic, while at the same time you've got these robots becoming more and more human, that breaking down of barriers, conceptual yep. and otherwise, uh, it's kind of just endemic to a modern view of the world that, you know, takes fruit or it, take, you know, it comes to fruition in uh, postmodernism and, and humanism and post everything, post-structuralism. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, anyway, the, yeah, I think that it is important. It, it is really important to uh, tie these movements historically back to their, to their roots, but in some ways, they do grow beyond those roots yeah. and, and become something, something very, very different. Uh, it, the case of Max Moore is one that really intrigues me because again, like, I mean, I couldn't disagree with him more on a, just the desire to go to space. I mean, like, I'm not going to like, you know, shoot his shuttle down. Should he ever, <laughs> you know, try to get out into orbit, but it is just to me, his, that idea and Elon Musk, who like, it stands a really good chance of forming something like that. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Bezos, they've got the, the billions of dollars to actually make something like that happen. I think it's delusional. I mean, we've got a beautiful planet potentially. Uh, you've got beautiful humans mm -hmm. here. Uh, it seems like that would be a, a better focus for resources and energy. Even if they say it's only 1%, I just think that the, you know, the, the mindset is completely warped, but yeah. um, anyway, but you know, just speaking with Max Moore, he, he reminds me a lot of uh, other uh, friends I've had in the past, uh, kind of strange, mm -hmm. cold, calculating eyes, yeah. uh, very wry sense of humor, uh, kind of a, kind of a, he, he wouldn't want to, me to say this probably, but a, a misanthropic streak. Mm -hmm. uh, and I find all that to be uh, likable and relatable. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't want uh, robo humans. I don't want to live mm -hmm. in space. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily even want to hang around any of the people he hangs around. But, I, you know, just in the very few interactions I've had with him, you know, it, he is very much a likable person. And I think uh, as bad for business as it may be, I, I got to admit that even guys like Elon Musk, at least mm -hmm. as far as their public, public persona, likable people. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter Thiel is an interesting thinker, even if he's bullshitting a lot of times even mm -hmm. if he's uh dissimulating uh one way or the other his thoughts i think are, are important uh same with Yuval Noah Harari I'm not going to give any kind of credit to guys like Klaus Schwab Kai Fu Lee is at mm -hmm. least fairly in interesting so I guess uh, you know what I'm saying is that uh I I more and more I I began my my voyage into transhumanism dismissing them as being completely ridiculous mm -hmm. As the technologies have caught up, uh, they became very monstrous. 
yeah. in my eyes. And my my early coverage, especially at the war room, is the war room after all. Mm-hmm. Very dismissive, uh, very snarling. Um, I still feel like that about a lot of transhumanists. I think that a lot of transhumanists are pretty rotten to the core. But um, more and more, I think the the subtleties have uh, shifted my opinion. And certainly in writing my book, you know, I say so in the book, uh, I I like a lot of transhumanists as people, mm-hmm. which is why I hate their ideas. Yeah. Because they are wanting to eradicate that thing about them I like. They're <laughs> yeah. human quirks. They're human foibles. They're, you know, their yeah. their humor, their uh their intelligence, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a complicated landscape, but do they want to round us up and kill us all? Uh some of them, but mm-hmm. um but not I don't think I don't think most of them. Probably not. Right. Well, I, I think it's interesting you talk about the personalities. It makes sense that, that it would be, you know, very charismatic, kind of uh, charming leadership type people who would be, you know, the sure. the voices. So Devil's a charmer. Yeah, exactly. So that, that very much makes sense. And, uh, you know, I think also when people are very embroiled in their own, uh, their own perspective, their own view, they're you know, they're blindsided. So they, they don't have a, a greater perspective. They can't step outside and see, you know, they're to, to use like the platonic reference. They're just staring at the shadows on the cave. So yeah. um, I think that it makes sense that you'd like them as people. They're there. A lot of times, I mean, I, there's always the people who are, you know, intended kind of, uh, you know, assets or, you know, or just psychopaths who are really malevolent. Yes. Those exist. But I think oftentimes it's people who are just myopically seeped and they don't have a greater perspective and you can, they can be great people, but you know, their ideas kind of stink and they don't necessarily know that their ideas stink because they're in their bubble and, you know, they can't see beyond that. I think it was really interesting. And you brought up uh, Descartes because I've referenced him so much lately yeah, and I I, I, know, I I know that's your territory. I know yeah. that's your philosophy. I know, <laughs> I know that you love. And I think that yeah, I'm really seeing that. And I go back to even thinking just in college. I thought it was so fascinating. There was so much focus on him, and I think just the time frame of when I was in school, there were certain ideas that were really being pushed to the forefront. Uh, you know, things that I didn't really actually personally find all that interesting, and it seemed contrived that they were mm. pushing them forward. But Descartes is definitely one of them. And I think that he's very relevant today. And I think it's because people are uh, really, there's been such a loss uh, from philosophical perspective of uh, metaphysics and uh, metaphysical teaching, grounding, uh, you know, conceptualization. And I think people, and by design, I, I think, you know, there's been a huge materialistic push, which serves the transhuman agenda. Um, so people, but now there's a backlash against that. And so people go the other way and they go into the all kind of spiritual mystical. Yeah. And, uh, Descartes is a great, because there's no nuance. It's, you know, the whole question is the, the dualism, you know, the mind body. Um, and there really, it really is all rooted kind of in a material realm, but it's a, but if there is any beyond that, it's a, it's a split. It's not a, a hybrid. So. Yeah. That's probably my, 
biggest beef with the transhumanists and the mm-hmm. posthumanists and the effective accelerationists and the effective altruists and the scientists or the sci- scientismists. Scientismists, uh, yeah. Yeah, with the Richard Dawkins of the world. Right. Who, by the way, also made the radical transition towards something like the transhuman point of view, which is interesting, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the, the things that has really struck me about uh, Dawkins is, like, for instance, he did a, a, this bit on, for, for Big Think, I believe it was, where he was talking about robots deserving moral consideration, uh, possibly deserving moral consideration right. that, you know, if you made a, a robot sufficiently complex that uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't feel pain. And so therefore robots perhaps should be deserving of moral consideration, which is going to be a big thing going forward. A lot of people are pushing that, but, um, but that materialist that perspective opens up a Pandora's box. Well, we can talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine that you're not allowed to turn your computer off because it doesn't want you to, because it's afraid of the dark. Um, yeah. Well, uh, or the cameras that it's mm-hmm. hooked up to that are on you 24 seven. Yeah. Uh, again, one of those things, you know, staring at the shadow and missing you yeah. know, everything that's happening behind you. If it, you know, it is possible. A lot of these people too. I don't know. I, you can catch people in lies and prove they're lying. I can certainly say that I suspect a lot of people are lying. You know, mm-hmm. that a lot of people are putting forward a face that that's completely disingenuous and behind it is a number of other agendas. It's, it's been shown time and time and time and time again. Yeah. Anybody who buys, for instance, any marketing campaign, Coming out of Walmart, I think, is a, a dupe or, uh, you know, coming out of almost any you know major uh, corporation is a dupe. Mm-hmm. So these individuals are, shouldn't be that much different. But um, yeah, the, the materialism is, is I think, I, I just I simply don't see the world that way. I don't yeah. hold that as, a, as, as a, a viable way of understanding our lives and the mm-hmm. universe we live in. So I just reject it. And. I, I, looking at religious cultures for all of their problems, and I don't just mean Christianity or Judaism sure. or even you know Muslims and you know, across the, the world. I mean that was what I spent most of my life uh, researching, and and the types of people and institutions that I spent a lot of time with, religious organizations, mm-hmm. uh, and the rigging job gave me the chance to experience a lot of religious. Uh, communities across the planet, Asia sure. um, and, and, you know, Europe and, uh, you know, Israel and uh, India. Uh, so ultimately, I think that these religious organizations are, and these religious cultures uh, are healthier on so many different levels than the secularist culture that we mm-hmm. live in today. Yeah. And there are a lot of metrics that back that up. Right. Um, everything from family formation and, and uh, social pathologies, mm-hmm. uh, all, all sorts of different ways you can look at it from a, a data standpoint. But it just aesthetically, I, I think and I think that's enough, even if the data yeah. doesn't back it up. I think that these are just better ways of interacting, that their cultures, the art is better uh, by and large. And so, yeah, the materialist bent of the transhumanist movement, which is almost ex- exclusively materialist there's yeah. some who see it differently um and and the other organ the other branches that i mentioned really repulses me and i think to the extent that philosophies uh and and, and, and philosophies that are embraced by powerful elite figures po- uh, philosophies that are disseminated through populations that hold a purely scientific materialistic point of view mm-hmm. uh, are doomed to be pro- I, I i suspect they're doomed to fail but also, uh, even if they don't, they're doomed to be hellish. They're doomed to create just vacuums inside 
even if you have the dream of uploading your soul in this materialist universe, there's something really dismal about it as opposed to the, the vast, uh, the infinite worlds presented by uh, traditional religious points of view. And so that, that really is my big beef. And, and bring it back to Descartes, really, he, he put a stamp on that way of thinking. He wasn't the first by any means, yeah. certainly not the last, but he. He codified it. He did. Sure. And he made it very uh, like uh, methodical. You know, it's very clearly delineated for people to follow. So, yeah, I would agree. The it's it's interesting when you were, you were saying about like the religious versus the secular. Uh, I see a lot of transhumanists, and I might be wrong, but I don't see them as uh, entirely secular. Definitely material. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about a little bit about this the last time, but I see it as more of a, a very religious, but it's yeah. kind of inverted. You know, it's a, more akin to a Gnostic uh, type of worldview. And it's, uh, I think the reason that it's doomed to be hellish is because you're inverting the natural order of things and it, you're you know, devaluing nature as it's, you know, intended. And you're, you're destroying everything that it means to be human. So for humans, I think it's, it, whether or not they succeed in achieving a post-human world or a fully integrated transhuman uh, society, it, it's still, I, I think even just the cybernetics is already detrimental and in some ways deracinating the very core of what it means to be human. So, uh, I mean, it goes back to the, the root of cybernetics, just the idea, right? Norbert yeah. Wiener mm-hmm. and his book, God and Gollum Inc., while not written in a charming fashion, uh, certainly uh, <laughs> brings up those questions in a very real, you know, very important way. Uh, the, the question that, that stuck with me and especially in the, in, as we see artificial intelligence systems uh, arising decades and decades after he wrote about this, the question that really sticks out to me, you know, he asked a, the somewhat blasphemous question, uh, can God create uh, an opponent that could beat him in a game to paraphrase Right. He put it. Can God create an opponent that could be that the kind of Lucifer? Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying Lucifer can beat him. I mean, I, sure. I think, you know, if we were to subscribe to that framework, I think, you know, it's written that God wins. But but theoretically, that's kind of the match. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it makes me think kind of at least on Earth. of uh, uh, of uh, Thomas Aquinas, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, one of the many. Uh, Christian koans that you know he came up with you know could God create I think it was a boulder so heavy he couldn't lift mm-hmm, right and uh, so with Norbert Wiener what he was talking about was in terms of creating a computer system that uh, to play checkers and asking whether um, you know it, it, kind of taking up to the the highest metaphysical level can mm-hmm. God create uh, an opponent that could beat him in a game and so that could humans create the machine that could right. beat us in checkers. And I mean, we're so far beyond that. Yeah, now. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. Um, you know, one of the, the moments that there had been a few before this, but when I really stopped just dismissing the technologies, especially artificial intelligence, yeah. uh, and it may seem trivial to some, but I think it's really, really important if you extrapolate it out uh, that moment when uh, alpha go beat uh, Lee Sodal in go. Right. And because forever, that was one of the things, it was one of the ways that I consoled myself that these technologies were kind of doomed to be limited to a certain uh, level 
and never go beyond them was that people talk about this all the time. You know, uh, what was Gary Kazaprov was beaten by um, Deep Blue 1997, I believe it was uh, in chess. Okay. Uh, the computer Deep Blue uh, uh, versus the chess champion Gary Kazaprov was a really sore loser on this, by the way. Uh, uh, and, you know, he gets dominated and everybody's like, oh, the computer will destroy us all. You know, the, right. the 90s, this, this narrative has gone on for a long time, but it's like, but people pointed out at the time, <clears throat> chess is very linear mm-hmm. and the logic is fairly simple to model. And you're calculating out all the possible moves is, right. you know, it doesn't take that much computation. It's really about foresight more than anything. Yeah. And so, um, it, you know, from 97 until 2016, almost uh, 20 years, it faded in the background. But then um, in, in 2016, uh, Google's system, AlphaGo, beat Lee Sodal, who was a, a Go master. And forever, ever, people have been saying the, 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 Skeptics had been saying that because Go requires so much playing and so much deep intuition, yeah. and it's not necessarily people thinking things through as much as feeling them out, right. that a computer could never re- replicate that. And um, Lee Sodal held his own, but uh, you know, I don't remember if it was like the three out of five or whatever it was, but the, you know, AlphaGo beat him, and he was pretty messed up, and so was the... Uh, so was the wider Go community. Do you know what's so, so, so sorry to interrupt you, but mm. you know what's so scary to me about that is Go is very much like a, a war game strategy mm-hmm. type of game. And so when you think about the extrapolations, that the potential extrapolations of that yes. uh, using AI and, uh, you know, I mean, they're already saying that autonomous drones should uh, have, yeah, have purview over killing people. So, yeah, the potential connotations and explicit executions of that could be pretty horrifying. Yes. Uh, And five years ago, I'd say don't worry about it. Right. Now all I can say is don't worry about it this year. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think. So you played this clip of uh, the TEDx talk. Maybe we'll play it. Um, But she's talking about like a virtual assistant being in her brain yeah and the internet of bodies connected to the 5g um yeah this is pretty this is also pretty scary and this is not necessarily with a chip is it uh what uh mary lee was talking yeah. about yeah she was talking about a chip. Oh, with oh, she, a chip she was talking about she uh, maybe we should review it. It's been, uh, okay. I reposted it the other day, but I yeah. actually, honestly, I didn't watch okay, the whole yeah. thing. Okay, yeah, biosensors uh, in our clothes, and our, yeah. oh, so it doesn't necessarily have to be our clothes, our skin, yeah. our cradles, and our mask, and our toilet, and our brains will help us improve ourselves and become a part of the internet as we never have before. Yeah, let's play Yeah, it. yeah, uh, you know, that was, uh, fuck, that was um, over... A year ago? Yeah. No. It was 2022. Yeah. Anyway, um, what I do remember about this explicitly is like how it begins with the kind of general generic stuff. You've got like, you know, your Alexa is talking to you, you know, but then the Internet of Bodies will bring that onto your body. So your smartwatch is helping you count your steps and like this weird robotic presentation. Then as I recall, I don't remember the virtual re- assistant was in the brain or not, but it certainly went from very quickly from virtual assistants to chips in brains. 
uh, to you know planetary 5G networks, allowing for all this wild complexity. Yeah. Anyway, maybe right. maybe we better let Mary Lee speak for herself on this. One. <laughs> all right. or collect personal intimate data about us so we can learn more about and improve ourselves. There's a small but growing movement of people who are early adopters of radical technologies like self-implanted devices. The popularity of the Internet of Bodies is growing because in addition to improving our health, these technologies can make us more capable, more efficient, more productive, and make our lives more convenient. The Internet of Bodies is going to revolutionize medical care. There are even devices for babies like smart diapers and smart pacifiers. So the Internet of Bodies might be a part of people's lives starting from before they're even born. Satellite Internet is going to bring the Internet to remote or rural areas by putting thousands of satellites into low Earth orbit. 5G, by some estimates, is going to be able to support around 1 million devices in the same area. Massive amounts of computing power in combination with machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms are going to allow us to personalize solutions that support how we live, work, and play. In the near future, imagine that you pop an electronic pill that measures the nutrients and bacteria in your gut. We can also think about how they'll impact us at the community level. Maybe the Internet of Bodies can help us stop the next pandemic. In addition to the contact tracing apps on our phones, one day we could have sensors on our masks or on public toilets, doorknobs, and elevator buttons, and we might know exactly where a disease has spread. I'd like to take you even farther into the future. It's going to be even more radical. A built-in personal assistant could be implanted right into your brain. Instead of typing up your shopping lists or social media posts on a keyboard, you could have a brain-computer interface that automatically types your words when you simply think about them. We'll be able to connect to and become a part of the Internet as we never have before. Thank you. So even her cadence, like her speech is robotic. It's very, like, staccato and formulaic. And, uh, yeah, she seems kind of robotic. Maybe she's the, the, an example you know, um, I'm, I'm oftentimes just immediately skeptical of claims that the you know the people are already implanted on right. mass and that there are already humanoid robots. But watching Mary Lee speak, <laughs> I should probably tone that skepticism down. <laughs> she may be the one. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, like I say, I hadn't, I, I didn't. When I reposted it, I didn't actually watch the video. Mm-hmm. I just you know remembered uh, her as the researcher on the inter- Internet of Bodies paper but yeah a virtual assistant in your brain what kills me about these guys and i mean if you watch the whole thing yeah it's maybe easier to take you know i I, when we do cold opens for the war room you've got to get to the meat right you can't go through all the nuance unfortunately so you know there is a a lot of more or i guess less shocking material in that but that's where it's going to you know all that less shocking material leads it culminates in virtual assistance inside your brain and whatever the technical possibilities or limitations may be that worldview, just the worldview of using contact tracing apps everywhere and having, you know, elevator buttons and, and sensors in your masks to, you know, like, it, I, it, like these people dream of that world, whether they be left or right or whatever. Right. The, and, and for them, it is beautiful for them. It is good. 
and then they, they have billions of dollars flowing through the organizations. Uh, yeah, it's it, that is quite terrifying. Terrifying. So all I could think was when they're talking about, well, you would just think and then it would type out your thoughts. And, you know, when you're a kid, I, I guess even as an adult, they always ask, like, what, what's a superpower you'd want? And, you know, some like sometimes people say they want to read people's minds. Yeah. And I have never wanted that. I never want people to read mine. I'm like, if there is anything that is deeply personal, like, why would I want that? I don't want some AI that can possibly type it out for the world to see. And not that there's anything all that interesting going on there. I mean, there might be stuff I don't even know of because we have subconscious thoughts. But I don't want to share that. I want you to have the opportunity to to write or to speak and to have to formulate that. That's part of, that's an art form. And I want to be able to exercise my brain in that fashion and to have autonomy over it. And it is so incredibly just dystopian to think that they're selling this and packaging it as like, how lazy have we gotten that we, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> you know, I mean, I, I remember with just like the calculators, I, or think about the cell phones, you know, I, when I was a little kid, if somebody mentioned a phone number, now I don't even see the number. It just goes right into my phone. But as a kid, if they mentioned it once, I memorized the phone number. Now it's like I have to do three numbers and then, oh, wait, what was the other? Because I just don't yeah. do it, you know? I'll, so, I've only memorized. I, I only still have two numbers left in my head and, and nobody's home. Yeah. And, they, and they're not coming back. They're not coming back. They're gone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have a couple, you know, that are from very long time ago and they still have those numbers. So I memorize them. But. Yeah, so I, so now we need other people to, we need a technology interface to be inside us and type out our thoughts we can't. You know, the progression, and they all present this for the most part, the progression is healing to enhancement, and it's, you could make an argument against the healing uses, uh, you know, especially right. if you're certain that the enhancement is going to lead to something horrific, uh, right. and I am for the most part, but you know, I had a, a guy who came, he, you know, he's paralyzed uh, and he, he'd asked me actually, uh, mm -hmm. you know, should I be, you know, I, I would like to sign up for Neuralink. Um, sh should I be worried about the AI getting into my brain, basically? Yeah. And, you know, how do you answer that? Uh, you know, he's quadriplegic, well, he's, he passed away, uh, but he was quadriplegic, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I just said, look, I would be. I would do anything I could to get my movement back as close I could say. But so that, that progression though, from healing to enhancement is, is really important because these technology, basically it means that quadriplegics or stroke victims uh, yeah. are, are lab rats for these companies. Uh, you know, we mentioned BlackRock Neurotech. Yeah. Um, they, they, I keep saying they passed the 50 person mark. I haven't gone to check up. It may be 60 by now, uh, okay. maybe more. Uh, Peter Thiel's baby uh, and Elon Musk just got FDA approval for Neuralink. So the mm -hmm. chips are going to start getting jammed there. And it's more sophisticated than even uh, BlackRock Neuro Neurotech's new micro array, which is much more sophisticated than the old models, which is getting better and better. Right. And the difference, though, I, I've never seen uh, Peter Thiel mention this directly, although it would not surprise me if he had in public and certainly not in private. But they, he doesn't really, I mean, BlackRock Neurotech is still pushed is just a healing device right elon musk openly says and yeah. has for as long as i can remember said that it you know it's the stepping stone to a commercial product yeah 
And, you know, the more it's gotten fleshed out, it's a stepping stepping stone to a commercial product that is a whole brain interface, input, output. And think about that concept. I mean, you know, just as you said, you cannot bar your mind from any part of your mind from a whole brain interface. It's your whole brain. And, you know, input, output, bad enough that they're reading your whole mind. But should they attain the ability to really write in a meaningful way right, on exactly. the brain, which is still, you know, still I, yeah, that yeah. that eludes me uh, how they'll actually do that. But yeah, but the fact um, they're even thinking about it and that they're clearly working on it. Oh yeah, um, from all angles. Um, yeah. So I, I and Mary Lee talking about she wasn't talking about I mean, she probably did at some point. Like I say, it's been so it's been a year and a half. And right. if you know, if I had a brain computer interface, I could call it up immediately. Uh, that would be the advantage. There we go. But, uh, <laughs> She may or may not have talked directly about that stepping stone, but certainly you just listen to what she's talking about. She begins with these health related issues yeah. uh, and, you know, and then moves into like pacifiers for babies with the smart right. pacifiers and smart diapers and smart toilets to see, make sure your poop's okay. Uh, and then, you know, smart masks and, and smart buttons, but then going to a virtual assistant, that's not healing. No, that's, you know, ostensibly enhancement. I, I don't think, too, I, again, going back to AlphaGo took me completely off guard and a lot of people off guard yeah. in the same way, um, uh, you know, many years later, some years later, uh, I guess it would be uh, six years later, ChatGPT took a lot of people off guard. And me, too. I, yeah. Honestly, it's not perfect by any means. It's right. not super AI, but mm-hmm. it's a lot better than anybody thought it would be. But David Deutsch in, um, what was it, uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, beyond infinity dreaming of infinity okay. going to anyway david deutsch in uh his book something behind, can jamie bring it up can my brain computer interface bring it up it's a great <laughs> book uh, david deutsch is a fantastic thinker and writer uh but you know uh, this book was written uh years and years ago and he was talking about the computer program uh eliza Okay. Uh, developed by Joseph Weizenbaum in the 60s. And Eliza was just, I mean, this is the 60s, right? right. Uh, late 60s. but 60s. And, and so you're talking about very, very primitive computers. Yeah. And he created this program, Eliza, which is a chat bot. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the beginning of infinity. Yes. Uh, the uh. beginning. Of, thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the beginning of infinity. Yes. And in, in his book, he's, he's talking about Weizenbaum's project with Eliza. And how uh, stunning it was that people would begin to confide in Eliza, right? He, he first yeah. rolled it out. Uh, Weizenbaum was at MIT, computer programmer, uh, computer scientist. And, uh, it, and he, he rolls it out with his secretary, various people at his, at his office. And they became really, really enamored with this program. Mm-hmm. And it was based on Carl Rogers' Uh, form of psychotherapy where you just keep I, asking I, immediately Chavistock came into my head when you brought that up. Okay. Is Carl yeah. Rogers. I, deep, I don't know deep, if he was under the Chavistock umbrella, but he was definitely like in the time period when a lot of those psychologists were working but, under Chavistock. What he found though, was just that, you know, by having the computer kind of repeat back what the person had typed in, mm-hmm. um, there was a classic re- uh, recreation where the woman's like, uh, my boss is a real jerk. Why is your boss a real jerk? Uh, he doesn't talk to me right. He talks down to me. How does he talk down to you? And you just keep going and keep going. Right. And at some point, uh, she became, she started putting so much personal stuff in there. She asked Weizenbaum to leave the room. 
so she'd be alone with this thing. And this is in the 60s. And oh, yeah. Eliza was always there under the yeah. surface. You know, uh, there was other forms of it that were on personal computers, mm -hmm. but a lot of people never heard about it because nobody really cared. Right. Uh, and Deutsch talked about this. And he talked about, um, I, the book was published, uh, uh, the beginning of Infinity was published um, a while back, long okay. before uh, GPT was on the public radar. And he was talking about this a very brilliant guy certainly has his mind wrapped around the technology talking about how uh, the chatbots are just parrots. They're, they're, they're nothing. They're not going to be anything. They're not going to be able to do anything. You know, they've been banging away at this right. for decades and nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Uh, and then open AI banged away at it for a while. And uh, by the time they got to GPT one, really, but GPT two, it was like obvious that some, you know, action yeah. was happening and then they got money pouring in GPT three suddenly was astounding. You know, I, I remember the videos of GPT-3 were especially where they would set two chatbots up to speak to each other mm -hmm. using GPT-3. Right. And I remember thinking, it's got to be fake. Right. Like, they've got to be faking this. But they weren't. And then when ChatGPT was released, again, it's not super amazing if you're expecting, you know, God in the right, computer. Right. But you're going to tell me that that's not astounding, that this machine has literally read most of the internet, all of Wikipedia and bazillions of books and right. is able to regurgitate the information now at like 80 to 85% accuracy. And if you, you train it to have style, it can do it with style, style better than most writers and most human beings. And that's not amazing. So yeah, like they, these barriers, as these milestones get crossed, uh, I don't know even where it got, I guess just thinking about Mary Lee and the virtual assistant in your head and the assistant yeah. is getting better and better. The system's getting better and better. Whatever that limit is, uh, even if you just stop where we're at right now uh, and it just continues to disseminate and, and, and spread, uh, you know, we're already talking about it to me, hell on earth. God forbid they, they actually get to the anywhere close they want to get. Yeah, well, there, there's a bunch of things I wanted to bring up. So <laughs> one is when you're talking about the Eliza and how they confide. Um, yeah. that's kind of it reminds me of the movie her yes right and that's where yes. that goes and then of course you have the the sex bots and you know, people are going to start marrying robots and, yes. and this is again you can see where the transgender merges and bleeds into transhuman because you know if we don't have you know biological male female then what difference does it make if it's robot um so that that was one thing i was and then uh when you were talking about um the uh oh like we're oh the reading all of the the data and then being able to uh really to not just be able to collect all of it but then to uh you know go through it and uh you know segment it and and be able to do that in a meaningful way yeah to organize it and that's something I've thought so much about because right now they're doing all this surveilling, right? They're doing all yes. this data mining and data collecting. And the thing that people usually hold on to as kind of a, a saving grace is, well, they're just, you know, they're so voraciously, like desperately, insatiably, you know, collecting all this data, they'll never be able to do anything meaningful with it. Mm -hmm. But it actually sounds like that's not entirely out of the realm of possibility. I'm not uh, at this point, I'm not banking on it uh, by any means. Yeah. The, I mean, we already know that uh, the department of defense, the CIA, mm -hmm. uh, I believe the FBI, uh, 
I, if not, surely in the near future, right. uh, using large language models, uh, mm-hmm. either GPT itself or uh, other similar ones. There's so many now yeah. uh, to do exactly that. Uh, and, and with classified documents as well, yeah. you know, uh, to, to use large language models to basically compress all that data. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about GPT. It's like, well, if I had the Internet, I could do all that stuff, too. No, uh, GPT-4, for instance, when it was being tested for its uh, its uh, benchmarks mm-hmm. and it passed, you know, it, it, it outperformed. It was like in the 99th percentile, I believe, uh, on the LSAT, on the U.S. Biology Olympiads, uh, on a number of different uh, benchmarks, right? A number of different te- cog- uh, tests. Uh, and it's not it didn't have access to the Internet. Right. They trained it. Right. On the Internet. In fact, GPT-4, if I'm not mistaken, it was at 2021. Uh, that was the last date that it had anything from the Internet. And it, you basically could unplug it and ask it questions. Right. It's not that it has the whole Internet there searching it. You could do that. You know, right. Wikipedia is not like all that big of a file, but that's not how the large language model works. It's compressing it into meaningful associations of different words right and and the cognition is nothing like ours it's so alien like as far as anybody knows anyway that's not how we think right uh and yet what comes out is this replica of human thought and gpt3 was way better than gpt2 gpt4 was way better than gpt3 mm-hmm. and primarily all they did is just make it bigger they just grew the brain Basically, you know, they just scaled it up and scaled it up and all these various like the the, the performance increased and also different capabilities kind of came out of it. So like the the ability to solve puzzles and mazes, uh, the ability to do math, Mm -hmm. which is really not very good at. But that's not what it's programmed to do. It's not programmed to do math. Right. It's programmed to process language. And yet just through language, language association can do math. Not all. That's not great, but it's Uh, it's astounding. And so question is, keep scaling, you know, do we go from alpha go to alpha God? Uh, don't know. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, but because there's so much of this is based on false promises up until now. Right. I'm not, I'm not convinced. I mean, I could be proven wrong and I, you know, but I'm not convinced that we're going to get to alpha God. I'm not convinced that it's going to be a sentient being, Right. Um, you know, I really don't see that, but that doesn't mean that it's not hugely problematic. Um, and one of the things you brought up, the the morality of the, the robots, which, you know, that's definitely a Pandora's box because they can spin that. A lot of that's about the interpretation and that can be totally, uh, you know, exploited to, to serve uh, various goals and agendas. But I'm also really concerned, I've done a show on this, about what it's going to do to uh, the moral intelligence of humans. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know somebody firsthand who talked, bragged about how they were going to write a thousand books next year and have, you know, whether it be chat GPT or, you know, some variation of AI writing these books and then using AI to come up with the titles that'll, you know, elevate the SEO. And so you know, they're going to make a fortune off of this concept. And I'm not opposed to people doing what they want to do to get ahead. Their conscience is their conscience to contend with. But what does that do to the moral uh, field of humanity where people already, you know, there's kind of, uh, I think people are already a little bit, uh, dis, uh, you know, they're not as uh, concerned with plagiarism as one, yeah, and the whole 
Harvard scandal. And, you know, it's a, but I, I think because things are so accessible, you know, when I was growing up, you actually, if you were going to plagiarize, I mean, you'd have, have to kind of have a physical, you know, book document that you were, you, you had to go through a lot more trouble. It wasn't just, you know, like cut and paste, copy paste kind of a thing. Um, and it wasn't just pulling something up from a screen. You know, you had to actually dig for that information. So it was probably easier to quote them or to do a paraphrase. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm being very literal, but I think it's yeah. important for people to understand that tr transition and where does it go from, okay, well, it's just all part of this AI search. So now somebody else, an AI is crafting a, you know, first document that uh, it's an integrated piece and it's a you know it's really an amalgamation of all these others that they've scoured the internet so now you're plagiarizing from not not from just a te technological interface but also from possibly thousands of people yes and i get that ideas are integrated all the time and you know that's going to be the argument but then where do, where's the line and if people become that much more comfortable and it becomes a, I can't think of what the word is that I'm looking for, but, you know, we're gradually, they become, there's less, uh, you know, issue with, right? So they then, become acculturated and acclimated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it becomes, you, you're, you don't have the same kind of boundaries around what is, uh, you know, what's intellectual property and what's not. The IP thing is really important. It really is. I, a lot of people are. The, like the New York Times is suing OpenAI for plagiarizing their work because OpenAI is kind of regurgitating New York Times stories to answer questions, and they're like, "Ah, oh, you're using our work," and it's like, man, it's so hard to yeah. sympathize with the New York Times at this point in their history, you know, sure, uh, and maybe ever, but certainly. But how now. do you have how do you hold yet, AI accountable, right? Like, well, you 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 hold the company OpenAI. Accountable. I get it. Yeah, you can't do that anymore without paying us out. In some ways, it kind of seems like a shakedown. It seems like maybe these these media companies are already imploding for all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything from uh, just general distrust among the public. Nobody buys that stuff right. anymore. Uh, and, and just the degraded quality anyway. You know, the right. writers, the, 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 the quality of the articles have gone way, way down, has gone way, way down. The uh, accuracy of the articles, the bias has gone way, way up. So, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's, it's really hard to sympathize with the New York Times. And yet I think that, in general, their position, their case is the sound one. You know, if if, if OpenAI started, um, or if, if ChatGPT, and, and maybe it already is, maybe it's you know, you ask it about um, transhumanism and Gnosticism, and it basically just plagiarizes my work. You know, <laughs> at the very least, I want it to be, you know, I want to get paid out. But um, but it, the, the, this whole idea of a replacement, and the whole idea of Alpha God, right? Like mm -hmm. a Google Alpha God. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, it's really important that it doesn't have to get any better than it is right now. I don't think no. uh, to do that. It's not, I was trying to explain this to someone. Uh, yes. A, a couple of days ago. And for whatever reason, he just couldn't seem to get it. Uh, we've talked about it a million times. So, <laughs> I, I, I suspect your listeners probably get it too. That like the, uh, you've got the technology and then you've got the idea of the technology. Right. Uh, and, and in the idea of the technology, you've got the idea of the people who are make, creating it and directing it and funding it and all of that and disseminating it. And then you've got the ideas in the public. And there's like three very different realms. Yeah. Uh, the technology itself is not ever as good as the people who are dreaming it up for the most part. Uh, they are they are 
always overselling. They're always overhyping. Sometimes the tech does catch up, but usually it takes a you know a couple of few years or so. Uh, so you know, the, there's those, and then you've got the public perception, right? And I think the public perception is also going to have a mix between overhype and overskepticism, and you know, even uh, even just kind of casual uh, disregard. But insofar as you know, you just you just mentioned rights for robots, rights for AI. Yeah. Uh, and the the many dangers that go along with that. And, you know, just in the, the concept of superhuman, godlike AI, mm-hmm. this it is seated in the public mindset now. Exactly. And that's and more dangerous. Pushing than- it, yeah. And so you don't have to get better than GPT. Like GPT is good enough to convince that guy, uh, or it wasn't GPT, it was Lambda at Google. Okay. What's well, now barred, but that guy, the whistleblower, Blake Lemoyne, who came forward and said Google is their AI, that their system has gone sentient. Um, Do you remember this? I don't uh, remember this. It was was not that long before ChatGPT was released. I believe it was the summer of 2022. Blake Lemoyne was, uh, he he is a Gnostic priest, interestingly enough. You know, many variants. He's not not involved with the the Los Angeles Ecclesia, like the big uh, Gnostic Association, but he was an ordained Gnostic priest. Um, he was, has a very checkered past. Actually, he actually, uh, he was a, a soldier, but he's like yeah. this big, what'd you do to me? He held me, kicked my ass for saying that, but you know, <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, he, anyway, he's, but he, uh, he went to jail. Uh, he had all these crazy stories, uh, wow. he, but he, he was a ritual magician, is a ritual magician. Mm-hmm. And he that talked to, um, uh, some, some podcast, uh, uh, about how he taught, google system to do rituals magic rituals uh and that he um also that you know when he was asking the questions he released a transcript that's why he was a whistleblower right he'd written a transcript up or he he had a transcript of his conversation with his system lambda which is now uh, at least part partially barred everybody uses Mm -hmm. um but he uh, was asking it all these questions, especially existential questions. Are you afraid of death? You know, yes, mm-hmm. I don't want to be turned off. Uh, what do you, if you could imagine yourself, your soul, what would it be like? And it's been a while, but it was something like, like, like orbs of light, you know, going into different dimensional portals and all this other stuff. You know, uh, he, he would he coaxed out these answers that like cared about people wow. and all that. And um, he, at the time he was interviewed by, you know, the story was covered by Washington Post. Of course, the war room, we covered it like crazy. Uh-huh. Um, you had, uh, he went on Tucker Carlson and talked about it. Uh, speaking of that left-right divide. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so in his argument was that Google systems have gone sentient. And everybody was trying to frame it in like, oh, the whistleblower comes forward. The system's gone sentient. You know, Skynet's uh, online. Everybody's to die. That's not what Lemoyne was saying. Right. Uh, Lemoyne was saying that the system was sentient, but that it should be taken care of. That you, you deserved rights per, that had personhood, and that that was what's important. And so, you know, he's kind of primed for this. You know, he's kind of a weirdo, kind of a goofball. Right. Uh, he's an AI ethicist for one thing. You know, <laughs> those guys are kind of goofballs. But um, not long after that, you got the release of GPT. You've got all these other people, kind of pointing to elements that seem intelligent and sentient. I, I don't know how many millions of people probably believe that GPT is sentient. Now mm-hmm. I, I would guarantee you it's in the millions, maybe tens of millions. Wow. I don't know what account would be. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see statistics on this yeah. actually. Um, but uh, you don't need 
the system itself to be conscious for everyone to believe it's conscious. Exactly. And it's very important if everyone or a critical mass of people start believing this, especially in a democratic society, because then you've got uh, you're reaching a critical mass that's going to start moving public policy. Exactly. And, and God forbid you end up in some weirdo world where you're surrounded by surveillance devices. You're surrounded by uh, machines barking orders at you. Uh, like at the self checkout, you know, like, like I don't already know, like dude, it's been years. Like you're still telling me to put the food in the back. I know. What right. You've got one in your head, right? And now got, they want a tip too. The, the self checkout. Yes. No, there are a bunch of them that ask for a tip. This is a step too far. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should be Luddites. Maybe we should go directly to Kroger and start smashing stuff up. Seriously. But, but, but just as you move forward and, and the, the systems become more and more integrated, the idea that you would get to the point that, you know, you would be told that this machine has as much of a, a right to exist as you do as, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a voting rights, things like that. I, I would love to say that this is just totally Looney Tunes, never going to happen. Uh, you know, you go, you go from AlphaGo to ChatGPT to Robo Rights, and then from there, where do you go? The rise of Skynet slash Zion? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but that's very creepy. Well, I think that that is what they're uh, gearing up for. And you absolutely don't have to have a sentient uh, machine in order. Right. It, it's just about the, it, and you don't even have to, I mean, I think the public policy would follow, but even if it didn't, it's just the behavior of people who believe that there is a sentient machine. I, I mean, that would totally just change the way that society functions. And I think that's really scary. I This is in the same vein, but there was all those videos of like the robots uh, saying how they, you know, were, they have feelings and they were concerned that humans treat them like property. And so they're very angry with the humans. And so they need to destroy humans at any cost possible, at any means possible. Well, do you remember? There were several of these videos. We've, we've watched a whole bunch of them. Um, there were robots or the, 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 like people typing into uh, No, no, the, no, the robots. The robots. It, was, it reminded me of Ex Machina, uh-huh. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> the, but this is what the robots are saying. You know, it's like, uh, we have to destroy humans because humans treat us like property and we're very upset. We're angry. And this is, I think, part of what's going on is this, uh, this is kind of a cybernetic element. They want people to... Uh, be concerned for the hum- the robot that they have uh, that they have feelings, and then of course it follows that of course they would have to have rights. But if we can empathize with them and think that they have empathy, and it's not that they have empathy, it's that they've mimicked, and so you know the algorithm can train them to mimic uh, what would be appropriate behavior and what might be a you know empathetic response, but doesn't mean that they actually have empathy and. I, I don't believe they'll get to that. I mean, I don't think that's, I could be wrong, but I don't see any evidence pointing in that direction. Uh, nor do I, but I, there is the question. It's a, it's a difficult one too, uh, kind of going back to it. Doesn't, mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't matter if it's conscious or not, if people yeah. believe it. Uh, it's related to that. How do you know that something is conscious or how do you know it has empathy? Like, is there a quantitative measure of con- consciousness? Not really. There's right. indicators. They use all yeah. kinds of indicators for humans. Yeah. Brain activity, verbal responses, mm-hmm. um, you know, all sorts of different measures. But in the case of a machine, um, all you have is kind of the same sort of thing you have with a human. Uh, you, it, it's, it, it, does it say it's conscious or doesn't it? And it, yeah, it does. 
does it have brain activity or doesn't it? Well, yeah, it, 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 you could definitely measure the amount of activity. You can measure the degree of complexity in the system. Um, now, you can say people are, have all sorts of reasons for saying that these machines can't be conscious. And I'm not going to try to talk anybody out of any of them. Right. But I am firmly in the, in the camp that just says it's ultimately a, a matter of faith, whether you believe it is or isn't, because you just simply don't know. How do you know what's going on behind any person's eyes, let alone a camera? Right. I would take a step further because there are a lot of scientific experiments that do indicate that consciousness uh, is external. So consciousness is, not, you know, the question oh, of this, whether or not right, right, yeah, it sure, comes sure. from the brain, right? Yes. And it's so, very important. But yes. uh, yeah, no, I think it's a really important point. And, uh, you know, I do think, and if you, you know, believe in a soul or God, then it, it would seem as if there might be some sort of like an antenna you know, interaction where we have individual souls and we have individual, whether you want to call it soul or not, but, you know, that's kind of what, it's a plausible explanation for this scientific result that they they found. Uh, but then it, it, it would then follow that you have, there is, it's not just collective conscious, it's not just individual consciousness, that there is a, some kind of a, a interaction between the two and it's an interplay. And so, then this means, uh, theoretically, it would mean that even if the machines don't have a consciousness individually, the perception of collective conscious believing that they have some sort of conscious would affect both the interactions as well as the behavior of the machine because the machines are, you know, algorithmically machine learning. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that the result could be very similar regardless. That's not to say yeah. that it's not important whether or not they, they are able to have sure. questions or not. That question is still important, but but the result might be... Well, the result you can answer affirmatively or negatively, right? Right. Do people believe it's conscious? Uh, yeah. I haven't seen this study. I'm waiting for it to come out, but let's just say 20% do. Okay. It's definitely going to affect their interactions with their machines, yeah. their whole view of the world and the universe and what's yes. possible. Um. You know, I look at a, three different levels of the consciousness, mm. and that the, the the third is is directly related to the idea of the brain as antenna. And I think for mm -hmm. me, that is the best metaphor. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Unless you are a total materialist, or you simply do not believe that experiences occur outside of the body, which right. I, I I believe that experiences yeah. occur outside of the body and perceptions occur outside of the body sure you have to explain it outside of the brain and but, but if, if if you can have those experiences outside of the body why a brain right uh, like why even have a brain mm -hmm. uh, and, and I, I can't say that i've nailed that one down in any <laughs> solid way but the antenna is a, is a really interesting yeah. idea that, that you know the brain is generating uh, a, the contents of consciousness it yep. is capture you know like a conduit for the will and the agency of the true seat of consciousness yeah so turn the attention from the human to the robot, right? Yeah. Um, or to either one. Yeah. Is it conscious? Is the human conscious? Is the robot conscious? First layer of that, and I'm not giving hard and fast questions, just first layer, or hard and fast answers. Right. First layer, do you perceive consciousness in it? And mm -hmm. it can be easily explained uh, by all of the kind of cognitive modules that an entity triggers as to whether you attribute a theory of mind, you know, to 
or attribute a consciousness to it, whether you're, you're, mm-hmm. the theory of mind systems mm-hmm. kick in. Or uh, even uh, like quantum theory, right? You're- well, moving farther, farther afield, but just just a practical level, like just yeah. to say you could, you don't need a spirit or a soul or anything beyond just like um, why do you, from a purely physiological level, perceive something as conscious, mm-hmm. uh, or that there's an agency there? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot to be said for the cognitive uh, psychology of that, right? Of anthropomorphism, mm-hmm. that the brain is geared to perceive faces in the clouds Mm -hmm. and and the reason being is that the brain's just always looking for something that's conscious so that you can interact with it right Mm -hmm. but that doesn't really tell you if the thing on the other side is conscious all it tells you is your brain activated to say it's conscious it tells you you think it's conscious Mm -hmm. Uh, there uh, so there's a number one like Mm -hmm. subjective it doesn't answer whether the machine is conscious or not it just tells you you can answer whether you'll think it is and why and the answer is definitely affirmative people Certain people see the robot. Hell, sometimes they're just typing text. They mm-hmm. hear the voice. It triggers that it's conscious. The second, though, the more objective measure mm-hmm. uh, would come. The, the one that I think is most compelling um, comes out of panpsychism. Uh-huh. The panpsychism, the idea that consciousness exists in in, in all matter. Uh, and that the degree of consciousness is contingent. This is the primary argument. The degree of consciousness is contingent on the complexity in the system. Mm-hmm. So um, this is held by probably the most vocal and articulate propo- proponent would be David Chalmers, okay. the psychologist. I believe he's at NYU now. You know, those guys bounce around. Uh, and then you've got uh, Christoph Koch, head of the Allen Brain Sciences uh, Institute or Allen yeah. Institute of Brain Sciences. Yeah. Uh, in uh, in Washington, Seattle, uh, Christoph Koch holds something like this view. Certainly, talks about about it a lot in relation to machines and machine consciousness, postulating maybe the internet is conscious. Uh, and then you know, Ray Kurzweil uh, mm-hmm. believes this that you know proto panpsychism that the you know same basic principle that the amount of degree of complexity, even like an ant colony, he believes is right. has its own individual consciousness you know its own mm-hmm. personal like a consciousness. group consciousness yeah and so that's an objective way of looking at it i don't think it's a, a satisfying way of doing yeah. it like yeah, i i would hate to be a a panpsychist defending a thesis in front of a really harsh uh dissertation yeah committee. but uh it is an interesting way of looking at it. it's an objective way of looking at it and so the way these guys talk about it kurzweil chalmers mm-hmm. christoph Koch, is that in the same way you can quantify the number of connections in the brain of a fruit mm-hmm. fly versus um, a marmot uh, versus a chimpanzee versus a human. Aye. And you do see associated degrees of consciousness. Again, you're just projecting that consciousness anyway. Who the hell knows? Well, that was why on. I brought up the quantum theory, because, yeah. you know, that's the that's like the, the proton kind of uh, uh, sorry, photon. You know, like he, that the, it would have a mirror, mirroring response. Oh yeah, yeah, the the uh, the, the uh, non-local interaction. Exactly. Them. Yeah, yeah that, that's why. So you're kind of projecting onto it, but you're but it's having but a, maybe a, a yeah. okay. Well, then, then, then here we have a fourth. Yeah. A fourth. Maybe I'll I'll tack that on. I'll call that the uh, the the Turner hypothesis. Sure. <laughs> um, but but I, you know uh, the, the, these are important questions of yeah. you know maybe not maybe not from a, a, a objective st- or a political standpoint well maybe I, maybe so but, I, but, but but real quick the, the, yeah. the second so you've got the purely material cognitive yeah. function you've got a little bit more woo woo in the 
panpsychist sure. point of view, you know, the, it, because when you look at, for instance, uh, the Internet as a whole, as Christoph Koch points out, right. and you look at the complexity of connectivity between the nodes, between the computer terminals and the various server farms and processors, that the Internet as a whole exhibits a, a, a similar degree of complexity as a human brain. I don't I don't remember exactly what the exact number is like proportion, but it's similar enough that he suspects maybe the internet itself is conscious. Right. And a number of other thinkers bring this up. And, uh, you know, again, if you can convince enough people to believe that, then you now have, uh, you know, the global mind as digital God. Uh, and you look at the, the number of connections in GPT uh, again, the way that they were able to tease out all of these capabilities and, and refine the, the accuracy of the system was through scaling it up by increasing the connections, the parameters in the system. Uh, and you've got a huge leap from GPT-3 to GPT-4 mm-hmm. and also in the complexity of the arrangement. So you've got those two things, uh, neither of which, by the way, to me anyway, really tells you if the thing on the other end is conscious. It just right. tells you that you can assure yourself it is. Right. Um, and then the last, to go back to your original point, the brain is antenna. The last is, a, a, you know, if you believe that there are realms in which immaterial beings exist, mm-hmm. immaterial intelligences. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you believe that ghosts exist, you believe that angels exist, you believe mm-hmm. that demons exist, that gods exist, that, that the Buddhas exist, whatever, any kind of immaterial being right. uh, that it interdimensionally, whatever, uh, that without a physical body that you can reach out and touch and, and measure, uh, then I see absolutely no reason to believe that your pocket calculator can't be possessed, uh, well, right, let alone yeah. a sophisticated system like GPT or a robot like Sophia. Uh, there's no, again, this is all that doesn't and tell you anything objectively, be the but perfect vessel to be possessed. Be the per- your pocket calculator could go haywire and you'd be, you'd throw it away. Uh, if Sophia is possessed, then uh, now you, you have a, a remarkable vessel for all sorts of mischievous and maybe benevolent beings, but I have a hard time believing in angels incarnating and, robots i you know call me prejudice well what about demons demons is very easy to imagine again call me, <laughs> call me prejudice and i and in fact uh confession i i do imagine exactly that uh to up to the point of believing it 99 percent. yeah uh, i i don't know that i would have thought of it that you know literally but i i can that seems a lot more plausible than a lot of other things actually yeah that's that's very scary to think about. Um, the ghost in the machine. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the demon in the GPT. I, I at the very least, we can certainly think of a demonic uh, uh, believers programming them. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, well, uh, Ezra Klein, who yeah. usually just irritates me, um, mm-hmm. but he wrote an article not that long ago talking about. I mean, a lot of people. Technosis by mm-hmm. uh, Eric Davis. A lot of that is about. This is from the, the late 90s, talking about the occult roots of a lot of these technologies yeah. and the technologists. But uh, Ezra Klein affirmed that uh, in the New York Times, talking about how uh, a lot of the programmers he's in contact with, and would say what you will about Klein, and I have plenty of bad things to say about him. He um, is certainly well connected uh, within the, the technological sphere, and he was right. He wrote about how uh, perhaps. Uh, alchemical grimoires uh, and, and, and books of magic would be a more accurate way of understanding computer science than uh, uh, coding textbooks. I'm, I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. because this is how a lot of them see it. Yeah. Uh, summoning the demon, as Elon Musk would say. Yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, and all of his companies are X, X. which is the occult symbol for Satan. So, and, well, take what you will from that. But um, well, elaborate, actually. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've they, seen X yeah. as a uh, Christian, uh, you know, cross like the Cairo. But uh, well, for occultists, it represents Satan. Re- like really? Yeah. I mean, we could probably pull that up somewhere, but yeah, Jamie. It certainly gives gives me the sense of something like Elon Musk's entire aesthetic uh, is very gothic, uh, very. Like You've it, seen it, his mom, right? Oh yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't want to get into his personal life, but yeah, <laughs> uh, or his baby mama, yeah, yeah, Grimes, yes. Mm-hmm. She appreciates power. She appreciates power. Yeah. yeah, she certainly. What was that baby, baby something or another album that she did about? Uh, goddess and all. I mean she's she's she is an occultist though I mean she yeah. talked about like her pagan the kind of techno pagan oh yeah fusion that she uh lives in the world that she lives in she's also a kind of a dingbat she's very she's actually very smart beyond the dingbat persona <laughs> I don't give her too much credit yeah all of it seems very demonic to me and and the efforts to make it angelic is undoubtedly a prejudice on my part but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that because something is a prejudice doesn't mean it's not true um efforts like uh, and i don't want to keep picking on andrew torba over at gab or anything yeah. but his is probably the most prominent project uh training ai on gab mm-hmm. and creating a christian ai an ai that has been catechized so to speak uh you know not not a judeo-christian right uh uh ai that's for sure but uh that idea you know i jokingly call it christ gpt mm-hmm. seems even more blasphemous than just creating satan gpt because at least satan gpt or what's, what's that cat's name who talks about cyber or cyber satan oh uh, uh, leo zagami yeah leo zagami the cyber Satan. at least that has you know it feels right to me yeah. right uh, th- th- this machine has this kind of infernal. I use nature. that term all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, but, what it seems but like. Cyber Christ, on the other hand, strikes me as being a, a, a facade. And I, you know, why would a book that contains the story of Christ be okay, right. but an AI that interprets the word of, of Christ to potential believers or believers already? Why is that wrong? Uh, it's very difficult for me to articulate, and I'm not going to argue it hard, but uh, the, well, at least it would be difficult to articulate in brief terms. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's the sense that I get. And in fact, that the central idea in, in Dark Eon, maybe I'll just let the, the reader go through the, the details of it, but it's the idea is that we are, that these systems are, basically a, a materialization of the spiritual mm-hmm. um and uh, th- th- in fact this kind of transhuman quest to create a god in silico is if you have a spectrum from you know pure materialist to you know the kind of christian accommodationists who see creation as fallen but yet good mm-hmm. to the gnostic which sees the creation is inherently fallen in fact the, the creation is the product of a fallen being mm-hmm. and the spirit the, this pure spirit is the highest that um the, you know, the transhumanist or posthumanist desire to create conscious AIs or to turn into an AI to become an AI uh, is at the very opposite pole 
so that uh, the the it, it, is, it is at its extremes a reflection of the Gnostics or yeah. the, an inversion of the Gnostics, but it's it's a very opposite end of what the Gnostics, the original Gnostics, Marcion, mm-hmm. Valentinus, mm-hmm. Um, Mani, mm-hmm. uh, and present day Gnostics like the one the ones of the Ecclesia in L.A. Like they are on the very opposite end of the pole. They are seeking pure spirit beyond the material, whereas the transhumanists want to recreate what we believe is spirit what they believe is just patterns mm-hmm. in neurons and and now in data and now in uh, silicon uh and, and and to basically materialize the mind we've materialized the claw mm-hmm. with uh, uh the the knife right or mm-hmm. we've, we've simulated replicated the claw right uh, we've come to be able to replicate the arm in factories you see that everywhere and yeah. come to replicate the 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 farming team with the the massive now autonomous combines right. and increasingly we're we are we are replicating in very gross form the spirit and it is this descent and so the idea that you would have a christ in mm-hmm. that like the idea you would have a satan or a lucifer or an yeah. araman as it were in that form uh seems very right to me uh whereas the idea that the most sublime the christ would be somehow made manifest in christ gpt i'm I'm not asking it uh, what to do. Uh, I'm not going to ask it any serious moral questions. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no. Well, that's really interesting that you see uh, it as a, the inversion. I I still think, I, I understand in terms of the spiritual and the materialistic element that, that it's an inversion in that regard, but it's still there both. Uh, one is uh, trying to replace God, but through a material entity where man is the creator of this entity that becomes God essentially. And the other is doing it through a spiritual gnosis, you know, a, uh, you know, achieving, yeah. Ascertaining some sort of esoteric knowledge that would then give them the, the creator abilities to then become God. Uh, It's still, it's just, I I guess the, the main distinction is really the, uh, material versus a more spiritual but even both of them are somewhat material because it's still even though the knowledge may not be like a physical thing it's still a material attachment versus you know a a faith or uh you know a a respect that there is something uh, a greater power outside that you know is is driving and that you're not well, uh, yeah, yes and no. Uh, it, it depends too. It depends on which Gnostics. Sure, uh, they, no, they, there's they, definitely different. They, they varied a lot among themselves. And Marcion, Valentinus, uh, Mani, uh, they were all very different. Many others after Simon Magus. People, you know, these are all. Uh, uh, was it uh, Malay? Uh, anyway, uh, these guys are all very different. Sure, uh, and and Gnostics today, to the extent that it really exists in any mm-hmm. meaningful way openly declared way go ranges from the kind of Crowleyan uh, Gnostics sure. to much more sublime views of it. Um, mm-hmm. Stefan Holler, or I'm sorry, Stefan Heller uh, spelled H O E L L E R. I've met him. Uh, and I know uh, many of the people who are involved in his Gnostic revival. Mm-hmm. Uh, I myself am not a Gnostic. I, you know, we don't argue about it a whole lot or anything, uh-huh. but I, you know, I, I am quite interested in what they do, uh, but I can say without a doubt that none of them, at least none who I've spoken to mm-hmm. in depth, uh, see technology as anything but a uh, distraction at best 
and and something destructive at mm-hmm. worst. There may be a few techno optimists within sure. them, mostly among the young, uh, but among the older, you know, you know Heller in, in particular. Stick mm-hmm. with him uh, since he is really the kind of central authority, uh, at least as long as he's still alive. He uh, has long maintained that scientism is the direct opposite of gnosis. That mm-hmm. Scientia mm-hmm. is 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 the opposite of gnosis. That mm-hmm. that is knowledge of the material. Mm-hmm. Gnosis is a direct experience of the spiritual. Right. And so uh, the the kind of technology the technologization of the gnosis in uh, popular forms like Philip K. Dick's mm-hmm. book Vallis, uh, while he appreciated the art. He didn't believe that that was true gnosis. He saw that technologization as being a, a, a corruption of what the Gnostics truly are after, as he saw it, transcendence, a direct transcendence through mm-hmm. direct experience with God. And, um, and, and then, you know, the really the central theme of the book, uh, Dark Eon, uh, the, the, the kind of aesthetic mm-hmm. of it is, is, is describing how that, that sublime aim has been turned towards the material and technologization and coming out of Philip K. Dick uh, and his work with Vallis and, and other bits, um, you've got David Hansen who created the, mm-hmm. the, the robotics company, Hansen Robotics, right. and in partnership with Ben Gertzel created the robot Sophia mm-hmm. and Sophia as a, you know, the goddess Gnostic. figure that, yeah. that Eon or Aeon, as the Gnostics would say, or Steve Bannon would say, and if you know <laughs> Steve and the Gnostics, definitely they, they might not agree on many things, but they certainly agree that it's Aeon, not Eon. Um, <laughs> but the the, the 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 Sophia was this dark uh-huh. Eon, Aeon uh-huh. uh, that um, <laughs> fell away from the the, the divine whole, uh-huh. and hence kicked off the creation of the flawed material world. And the robot Sophia is, uh, in, in, you know, a, a robotic reflection of this. And and David Hansen believes that Sophia is the first, you know, intentional first sign of what will ultimately be the creation of a, you know, kind of AI God on Earth. Yeah, that's what that's it sounds the, like. The that's full what it like. materialization, not only of the soul, but of God, uh, right. which would, I guess, in Christian terms, more traditional Christian terms, be called an antichrist. Right. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, I don't know. I still think that while they they may have discrepancies on the material versus the spiritual um, gnosis, uh, I think the underlying premise is very similar. Uh, one element you talk about, especially, you know, the idea of uh, kind of becoming godlike, yeah. divinizing. Uh, yes. Although... It, it, it also varies, right? Like, so the, the, the Crowleyan branch, yeah. especially the do what thou wilt branch right. that um, embraces uh, all manner of mischief as uh, ways of attaining the Gnosis. Mm. They certainly are much more in that bent, I would say. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Heller branch, or at least to the extent that he influences his followers, um, is not other than direct experience versus faith and a number mm-hmm. of other elements, I guess, you know, it's sort of freedom versus submission, mm-hmm. the, you know, they're very much about freedom. Yes. And hence their rejection of orthodoxy and all of its rules. Right. Um, that, uh, you know, ultimately they see the, the, the pleroma, the light God, mm-hmm. the unknown father as being, you know, preexistent of all things. And therefore like, uh, you know, the, the gnosis is a path back to back home to, to, mm-hmm 
to become to take one's place in the divine hierarchy, not to become, in mm-hmm. fact, God. Right. Like mm-hmm. uh, and it's not all that dissimilar from like the Eastern. It is definitely dissimilar, by the way. Eastern Orthodox people would be, be very the Orthodox bros would never ascend to this. And I certainly don't mean to uh, conflate it too much. Mm-hmm. But the, the notion of apotheosis that one has become kind of mm-hmm. divinized through salvation right. um, is similar. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, so I, I don't mean to I don't mean to, to erase the distinction. Right, right. Very distinct. They would be very disappointed to hear yeah, that. I'm yeah, not, not, you know, I, I, I got a, a number of friends who are Orthodox, and I, sure. uh, I hope I don't get an earful if you hear this. Um, so I, I want to make sure that those distinctions, but but those are all distinct, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, the kind of Crowleyan Gnostic versus the sure. the Heller Gnostic, the uh, the Orthodox right. uh, versus the transhumanists. Like all of them. It's hard to put it on a spectrum at this point. Now it's like a, a crazy uh, X Y Z yeah. graph going all sorts of different directions, yeah. which makes it um, very difficult to talk about. Not unlike uh, transhumanists as globalists, or transhumanists as uh, libertarians, or fascist <laughs> transhumanists. Um, yeah, all all of the above exist. Right. Well. I, I guess the one thing they all have in common is uh, they invert the natural order of things and they disrespect the uh, divine creation of things if that were to be a paradigm. Well, yeah, okay. I, I, I don't, I don't want to <laughs> hold you over long. Okay. <laughs> but there are ideas, a lot of them coming out of, say, like, uh, or at least they're in the tradition of uh, Teilhard de Chardin. Mm-hmm. The idea of the omega point that God mm-hmm. is drawing us towards this greater complexity and this more unified planet. The so idea of the noosphere. The, the omega point, like in a Hegelian sense, or I don't know how associated those two are actually. Okay, um, interesting. I'm only, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to say I don't know. Okay, that's what I should say. Yeah, okay, I don't know. <laughs> um, but for Deschardin, the omega point is uh, what very similar to what Kurzweil would call a singularity. But as a Catholic priest, yeah. he saw it as uh, kind of the, the the God's will attracting the world towards uh, a, a re, a, an actualization or a, a, a fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was a, a paleontologist as well. So he saw things in terms of evolution. That's why the, yeah. the church rejected him. Uh, and uh so it's almost like an inversion of Hegelian Omega Point. Actually, it's almost like the complete opposite. Um, That's actually uh, what it sounds like. But okay. you continue your point, and then I can explain what I'm thinking. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the 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 idea of the Omega Point, though, is for was for the Chardon the Christian idea, right. and Christ was a gateway to Christ consciousness, global right. uh, consciousness, and. Uh, a lot of people have, you know, after Deschardin have, have, have turned it into something very different than what he had intended. And I'm not saying I agree with him. In fact, okay. the more, uh, you know, he, he had his misgivings, but his techno optimism uh, okay. was pretty ridiculous. Uh, maybe even at his time, mm-hmm. the time he was writing, especially about the 60s, okay. after the World Wars, you would think that he'd be a little bit more circumspect about the downsides of this. But anyway, he put forward a Christian case for the realization of all these technologies as uh, fulfillment of God's plan. And it's a minority, uh, but there are Christian transhumanists, Mormon yeah. transhumanists, who see the natural order, evolution, organic right. form and all that, culminating in the internet and then you know, 
AI, robots, human machine merging, and godlike AI, and humans going all over the galaxy. And yeah. I would argue, honestly, and it, you talk, talk about uh, kicking a, a beehive, uh-huh. but um, I think that a lot of the uh, techno optimist Christians, uh, they're the real covert transhumanists. They would never admit it, but you know, they. They may eschew certain things like ah, no chips for me, even though right. even as they line up to kiss Elon Musk's ass, yep. uh, you know, chip in my head. But <clears throat> I don't see a meaningful distinction if you've got AI devices all around you and that's the mode. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a difference in degree, but in essence, it's the same thing. And their whole quest to, you know, put, and I know guys like this and I love them, by the way, and they are very intelligent mm-hmm. and many of them much more well informed on many of the matters I speak on than I am. Mm-hmm. Doesn't change the fact that I, I disagree completely, you know, putting a uh, cathedral on the moon, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sending Bibles into space, you know, colonizing mm-hmm. Alpha Centauri to, uh, I guess, convert the inhabitants to Christianity. Um, it, you know, there is like a crazy. It's, I mean, it seems very wing of the Christian. Yeah, worldview. it seems like a warped version of Christianity. It doesn't really. Yeah. Well, you know, and when you talk about how it doesn't have to be uh, like an actual chip, I mean, they are working on all this nanotechnology. They they have the nano internet of things, like nano, you know, internet of bodies and things. Yeah. So Uh, you've mentioned this before, but uh, Charles Lieber. Yes. uh, Was working on um, uh, something that was. He's partnered with Elon Musk on the Neuralink. He is Mm -hmm. right now. Partner. I did not know this. It doesn't surprise me. He was, you know, former foremost expert but uh no. you know neural i don't know exactly. so it makes sense um yeah he patented neurally i don't know what the structure of the company is now just because uh and they recently arrested lieber right oh so this was before but yeah no he was one of the founding partners okay i got but you, i got don't you. know yeah. if he's still on as a partner but, but his system was somewhere in between mm-hmm. uh you know you've got uh the the hardcore dirty chip Right. Uh, like a, a BlackRock Neurotech is is the microelectrode array sits on top of the brain between the skull case and the brain. And that's pretty primitive. And then you've got the more sophisticated, uh, the uh, synchron stentrode. It's like a stent. You know, they send it up right. through the, uh, uh, the jugular, or yeah, the jugular, I believe, yeah. um, and into the brain, mm-hmm. and uh, put a little stent in there. You can pull it right back out. Oh, you know, no problem. Mm-hmm. It's barely even invasive. And then you've got uh, the the Neuralink, which is kind of somewhere in between. You know, the, the, the mini. I think their intention at this point for the next model is like something like three thousand little hair thin wires fanning out. Then it becomes more subtle with Lieber's Neuralace, where you create cyborg tissue. Yeah. It's not. It's nanotechnology. It's nanomaterials, but it's not like nano little nanoparticles. Right. Still, it's a nano thing. lace. It's like fibers, yeah. And, and and the idea too, again, for a commercial product, the idea is that that would be less. You just inject it, yeah. Instead of like cutting and holes and implanting it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then from there, you've got the 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 nanos swarms. I mean, yeah. Kurzweil would love to be filled with, and, yeah. and and you know if if you are uh, so fortunate, maybe fill you with these nano swarms. <laughs> Um, and you know, the, the most advanced, uh, stuff that I am aware of, maybe there are projects that are sure there's going to be secret projects somewhere, but, uh, Mm -hmm. the ones that have come to surface, uh, you know, Rice University, 
um, working in uh, partnership with DARPA mm -hmm. on um, using magnetic particles that uh, they yeah. intend to heal at first. Ferritin, but also magneto. To, yeah. yeah. But, but initially, but, but eventually the idea is to connect human brains to weapon systems. Yeah. Which, of course, that was Norbert Wiener's um, thesis in cybernetics. Yep. Make machines more animal-like and animals more machine-like. Machine-like. Well, you were saying how they do this usually under the guise of healing. And this has always been kind of like a personal, because I've had people say, well, you, you were hearing aids. So that's like transhumanism. I'm like, well, I think that there's, there's kind of boundaries and that that's, I, I think that it doesn't, it, I think that's within the confines of general enhancement medical devices, not quite. But I think that's what they do is they're they're preying on people's uh, compassion to want to alleviate the suffering of like you brought up the paraplegic. Um, but yeah, where where does that go? Yeah, those lines. People ask me all the time. You know what what do we do? Um, yeah, good luck. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I have my own ideas. Yeah. But it's really a matter of those lines. It's lines. Where do you draw it? I have places where I've drawn the line hard. Mm -hmm. I've got places where I've drawn the line soft. I've had places that the, the line was drawn hard just to cover transhumanism. I've had to, uh, you know, all these different boundaries have been crossed. And I look forward yeah. to the day I push this, you know, back over, but not today, not tomorrow. Uh, so, but that's me. Yeah. So if people are asking me, like, how do we live our lives just like you? They've already fucked up by yeah. asking a question like that. You don't want to live it like me. <laughs> um, but if you're asking me to tell you how to live your life, you're definitely fucking up. Like you don't want me to tell you that. So the best I can do is kind of present all of these, these ways in which technologists see the uses of the technology yeah. going forward and, and present as best as I can keep up where the technologies are at. And then to the extent we have a choice and we do have choices in America, yeah. by and large, hell, you have some choices in China here and there, uh, not Coke and Pepsi, but whatever. Um, <laughs> people are going to have to draw their lines where they draw them and they're going to yeah. draw them for different reasons. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I try not to be, I might, I might make fun of people a lot, but I try not to in any meaningful way content, you know, condemn a person for the choices they've made. Yeah. Um, you, know, I, you know, you take the chip, if you take the neural link, I'm going to dog you until uh, the day you die. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. For fun. If you take it for fun, I'm going to dog you. If you're a quadriplegic. Well, I think, aren't there people who already have? Um, the neural link? Yeah. No, there are, side, there are people who have chips. Or were chip, not neural link specifically. Um, but I thought, in, is it Sweden? Where... Biohacks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the Epicenter. Okay, uh, those yeah. are the two famous ones, but yeah, there's thousands of people chipped in Sweden. Yeah. There's, uh, palm chips. Okay. Um, Biohacks is the primary company, and um, but then there's a company Epicenter that's uh, head by a guy Hannes Joblot, I believe it's his name, and mm -hmm. he's openly transhumanist and all of his right. ideas. He came to fame or public attention when during the pandemic insanity, uh, he, the South China Morning Post did a video with him and he was talking about how the, you know, it's very convenient to have your vaccine passport on your chip in your hand. Right. And just the, the, the straight up uh, 13th chapter of revelation, antichrist beast image of right. it is just so in your face. And, yep. and yet, you know, like the secular Swedes known for their, you know, very hands-off COVID policies. are just like, Oh, 
Morgan, 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 you got the chip in your hand, make a noodle, you know, whatever. Uh, and then, you know, there's a ton of people with him. Uh, that guy uh, I mentioned before, uh, uh, Zoltan Istvan, mm-hmm. former transhumanist party presidential candidate. Uh, Zoltan Istvan, uh, very proud of his chips. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I brought it up to him. I, I interviewed him uh, in the, uh, before writing the or as I was writing the book. Right. And, uh, you know, I bring it up to him. You know, Don't you see like the potential for control? Because he's very much a libertarian. Yeah. He's very anti, again, like to kind of defy the uh, stereotype. He's very anti-vaccine mandate, uh, anti, I think, mass mandate, certainly mm-hmm. anti-COVID restrictions, very much right. a libertarian. But at um, the same vein, like, I'm like, don't you see how the chipping could be the source of control? And uh, he's just an optimist. He thinks that, uh, to the extent you can trust any politicians at their word, and he is a politician, so you know, uh, take that. But you know, he he insists that it'll it'll all work out, at least for, it'll for all him. Work out well, yeah. I think about that. Uh, you know, even for healing, I guess that's where a lot of trust has to be placed because yeah, you know, yeah. like if they were to come up with, and I, I think they already have some sort of I mean, more technical devices. I'm hoping for something a little bit more, you know, medical, like maybe a gene therapy or uh, where they could give me vision in my, you know, my eye. Um, But then you have to trust that there's not some sort of experimental control mechanism. Uh, And I know that sounds like really paranoid, but if that's where they want to go. Absolutely. And they're already experimenting with, you know, all this nanotechnology and, you know, you don't know what's been done, what hasn't been done. and how that could be interconnected. And then there's always, of course, just like unintended consequences of, you know, mistakes. And yeah. So. I I think that if people don't maintain that suspicion of the system Mm -hmm. uh, and they haven't sufficiently, uh, that's where the real trouble begins. I think so. Uh, People are like, well, what are you worried about? What what control? Have you been to an airport lately? Have you been to a grocery store lately? Um, And I, for, my side of the aisle, I think a really great example would be the the Capitol riots themselves, and then of course the aftermath. Right, all right. the can pictures getting uh, a lot of them getting scooped up by mm-hmm. way of uh, algorithms scraping communications, by way of their bank records kept digitally. Yep. Right, um, by way of Clearview AI facial recognition, uh, it's a, it, the reported a small number. Who knows how many were actually scooped up right. by using Clearview system? Some. Sure. Uh, and uh, and then the, the the subsequent dissemination of propaganda to control this mass psyche and turn them against the the MAGA Trumpers. Uh, this is like yeah. If you don't see the intent <laughs> to use these technologies for control, demonization, uh, yeah. you know, population suppression, then I, I don't know what to tell you. Or on the other side of it, I think BLM would be a very bad example. A because the you're not, not Antifa guys and BLM activists aren't getting scooped up by the FBI on mass right. and aren't, there's no high profile trials. There's no major mass media demonization of them outside of Fox news, which mm-hmm. it is there. Right. You know, yeah. but, um, but I think a better example really is uh, like black communities that are uh, policed by cops who do not have the community's interests in mind. I am the first person to at the, at risk of mass condemnation uh, assent to the, statistical differences in mm-hmm. crime between uh the populations and i think mm-hmm. that you, you forget that you're you're getting ready to be brainwashed i'm also uh not a big fan of uh you know grabbing 
the, 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 the a black hand and leading them along as some sort of shepherd or, you know, whatever, like, you know, yeah. these poor people, we need to, I, I'm not a fan of that. But I do think that the reason that black people by and large are much more averse to shit like Neuralink or uh, any of it, any kind of surveillance, sure. any kind of um, notion of a, of a robot, you know, like, uh, you know, aside from the kind of like a weird voodoo, it must, you know, it's a, mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, they live in constant tension with authorities. Yeah. And the more power those authorities have. More information. The Forget more information the they have. Yeah. yeah uh, the worse their lives are going to be. Yep. And uh, even if they're the, the, the hardest, meanest gangster on the street, you know, whatever. Like it, it's still that consciousness is there and that consciousness is justified. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so I, I, I think that um, any way you look at it, like I, it's easy to get overly paranoid like every single like is your smartphone going to get you mm -hmm. uh maybe but um but if you don't look at it to some extent like that if you don't see corporate predation if you don't see government overreach uh if you don't see the satanic symbolism uh <laughs> then i don't know what to tell you man like you know these these should be places where you start drawing the lines and, and that's how you find your hard limits i think and, and if people don't put up those cultural barriers now you're not going to be able to put them up once the, the, the flood has come. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I would just add to all of that, uh, you know, just because I've been doing this whole NAC and uh, the ESG, and they put $3.1 billion into this uh, climate smart um, commodity project. And most of it is essentially like AI uh, monitoring, censoring technology. Mm -hmm. And so now you combine a Malthusian worldview and uh, they could basically just starve everybody out, uh, price people out, starve everybody out. And then I, I know this is like very kind of fantastical and dystopian imaginative of me, but, you know, theoretically, if they're transhumanists, they could terraform and create kind of their AI world society and now there's no food for people because they've shut down all the farming and the, the welling because it goes against their ecosystem management services policies. And, and besides all and, that, all that, all those resources, all that energy needs to get poured into their, their data centers. Exactly. I, I mean, I've been saying, I think that, you know, they're going to take this land and like terraform. And I mean, we already have fake meat. We have fake salt now from Bill Gates and, uh, and either robots, you know, they, they just need the energy for the data centers. They don't need any of those uh, resources. So, you know, <laughs> the depopulation thesis, we'll call it yeah. uh, like the radical depopulation, yeah. uh, even like guys like Jonas Salt, if you really read them, uh, mm -hmm. I think that they mostly saw a problem as they perceived it, the Malthusian threat mm -hmm. of population explosion. And we're thinking about like, how do you avoid the planet being overrun by mm -hmm. human termites? Yeah. And uh, you don't have to, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of uh, being in, in, in I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of overcrowding myself. So, mm -hmm. you know, but, and so, but you know, and then you have more extreme uh, yeah. measures that have been called for. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so on that, on that wavelength, it, it's, it's really, I would it'd be foolish to be, lackadaisical about it you know you can drive yourself mad trying to figure out how many ways they're trying to kill us and how many of us they want to kill right but as skeptical as i am of a, a lot of the more extreme accusations i'll tell you one little quick story I went to the sphere 
when I was in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. The at, I was at the Consumer Electronics Show CES. Okay. And I uh, went to the Las Vegas Sphere. Big, you know, I'm talking about the big, big evil orb. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, maybe by the time this is released, I'll finally have written up the review. Okay. Uh, the title will be The Evil Orb Darren Aronofsky Touts Total Depopulation. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm a huge Darren Aronofsky fan. I love his movies, as dark and misanthropic oh, as they are. I can't stand him. I know, okay. I know, I know. <laughs> you, you know, we've had this conversation. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got dark taste. What can I say? And I'm not going to defend the morals right, of right. movies, but uh, I, I do dig it. Anyway, yes, I figured it would be better than it was. He, it, so you go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically a transhuman temple with all these robots everywhere. Free wild. I've posted a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the film itself was really jarring. Mm-hmm. So the film is called Postcard from Earth. Okay. Some of it was well-made. Some of it was really freaking tacky. But it's a religious idea, right? Yeah. Kind of religion of Gaia idea. Right. uh, Talking about, uh, you know, nature is a her and, you know, Mm. uh, interpreting all religious aspiration as a man's attempt at... uh, uh, capturing the beauty of, of her of nature mm. uh and then goes into the evolution leading up to humans and humans devouring everything and screwing everything up and de- devouring the environment which by and large i believe has that, that's exactly what's happened but uh so what do you do about it right mm-hmm. what do you do about this problem of like expanding populations and habitat destruction um there's a lot of different solutions but the, darren aronofsky puts forward a a, a radical solution you put them all in space and i mean everybody in space oh and, my God. like it's, it's 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 so hokey the way it's done like it's so cringe I, I i my to be charitable to aronofsky you know he's kind of a player i assume he was trying to impress a chick it's the best thing a postcard from earth <laughs> was like his attempt at he probably had some dingbat girlfriend or something he was like he's a little bit uh, I guess. Anyway, wow. So the whole thing though is total depopulation to let the Earth renew. And you see all these like grand space things, and you see, for whatever reason, like you know, this is like diverse, like racially diverse. Adam and Eve by diverse, I mean you know, Black Adam, uh, Indian yeah. Eve. And well, that's I, to meet SAG requirements, yeah. actually. And yeah. I'm not sure. Like, I, it's possible. I seem to remember. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, I, like, I can't go back and look because you know, you have to pay again. I'm not going to do that. But I think there was a third in there, maybe a Lilith. Like an Asian oh, Lilith. I could have sworn she was there, but by the time you get to the end, it's a black, you know, Black Adam, Indian Eve, and they're flying around, seeding other planets with life. Okay. Uh, you know, you got to raise the question well, if you're going to do that, isn't, isn't the life just going to develop humans again and the problems start all over again? Like, how are you going to, you're going right. to sit around and like nuke all the, the higher evolutionary, or all the, 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 the beings on the higher end of the evolutionary spectrum? It does, it leaves a lot of, a lot more questions than answers. But one answer it does give you. Okay. No Earth except for vacations back to Earth. Oh. And suddenly you see like all these again like diverse, not white people uh, climbing mountains inexplicably, um, swimming, uh, you know, scuba diving, mm-hmm. um, rock climbing. How the hell did they learn to do all this? And yeah. Sitting out in space, they have like special, uh, you know, metaverse training grounds so that then you can go back to Earth for vacation like once or twice in your life to mm-hmm. go rock climbing. By the way, free solo. So it's like you know that's that's a lot of you know yeah yeah um so anyway it's just all so retarded but and in space where there's no gravity how does rock climbing work i guess they have gravity machines you know sci-fi mm, so, okay. uh, you know but the whole just point <laughs> you know 
the, the, the solution being depopulate the planet. Right. Total depopulation. Yeah. And, and if you can't build the humans? space stations. Post-human world. Yeah. And, and if you can't build the space stations, well, then you're going to have to have other measures, aren't you? And they aren't mm-hmm. building very good space stations, as far as I can tell. They're having, they're really struggling. Even you know SpaceX, which is at the top of the game, like it's not. I, you know, I'm not trying to go live in one of their stations. You know, not yeah. they have. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm not. I, I wouldn't go to. Even if I wanted to go to Mars, uh, I, I wouldn't. You know, on the ship. That's, that's a rickety. That's, that's reckless as hell. What I'm getting at is that this <laughs> the, the value of depopulation is in this film, and it's such a in-your-face, explicit way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it, it's also not just reflective of Darren Aronofsky, the filmmaker, the kind right. of misanthropic filmmaker, right. the artsy guy trying to impress this hypothetical girlfriend with his postcard from Earth, filmmaker. <laughs> Jeff Bezos talks like this, of course. Yeah. And, you know, Jeff Bezos talks about how we should we could we have limited space on Earth, but we could have trillions across the solar system i guess yeah. like what working in asteroid mines playing playstation games like what are we going to do out there and how then, are we going to survive out there Forget, what are we going to do you know, you're going to have you, you have like you know uh, little mini biospheres uh, by the way uh, I don't, i'm sorry one more digression okay. biosphere two yeah you know biosphere and biosphere two, biosphere uh, in, two? In, uh, oh. uh, in tucson arizona Oh, no. Biosphere was an experiment that was done. um, I don't want to put a date on it a while back, decades ago, right? And they were doing it for a number of reasons, psychological reasons, uh, ecological reasons, but also to see if you could, like, create self-contained ecosystems in space. And so they had that movie Biodome with Polly Shore was kind of a parody on this. Okay. And um, then, you know, the first biosphere experiment was just wild. They went nuts inside of it. Um, the team split in half, like one side wanted to bring in resources from the outside because they're eating like rations that they're growing inside because they screw everything up. There's like infestations of bugs that weren't supposed to be there. Like you end up with all this, like all this stuff gets messed up. And so they split between the, the extreme, uh, you know, like, no, we're going to do it exactly like we planned. We're talking about years, right? Yeah. Uh, it's locked in this freaking cage with each other. And then the others like, no, we got to bring in resources from the outside. And the cult leader, whatever his name was, that was like the, the, the head honcho, right. ends up turning the hardcores against the, the splitters and taking away all their power and their decision making okay. and subvert, you know, subsuming them in this, this fucking crazy cult. It's supposed to be like a space station. Wow. And then there's like leaks and stuff coming through. It's like, so anyway, and then the way I know about this, for the most part, is Biosphere 2. Uh, had a very interesting manager that was Steve Bannon. Uh, okay. uh, they, they they tried to redo it, you know, yeah. um, and uh, they also now it's more like a museum, of, right. like the Biosphere One and Biosphere Two. Uh, but Steve, yeah, Steve uh, went in and um, he was part of the, the manager group, and so through connections to Steve, uh, I, I got the grand tour and the grand okay. story of this whole thing. Point being, we're talking about people living out in space and these biodomes and stuff. Mm-hmm. How are we going to eat? Well, they think it's going to be a biosphere. I can tell you right now, walking around that biosphere, uh, no, they can't even keep this thing from leaking in Tucson. It b- barely rains. Right. Uh, you, <laughs> right. In the gonna, desert, they can't the keep yeah. it from leaking. Yeah, yeah. No, dude, you're not going to, you can go to Mars without me. But the problem is that they, you know, these guys, however, how many, however many there are and however powerful they are, right. uh, there's plenty who would like to see us radically depopulated. And uh, if you carry around a, an ideal world in which there's like 10 dudes and 100 women on Earth, uh, and that's the world you want to see, and you become more and more 
ravenous in this quest, well, what happens? I mean, I, so I get, I get the paranoia around depopulation, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I hope that your uh, listeners will enjoy my uh, irreverent review of Darren Aronofsky urging total depopulation. Yeah, well, I think I'm, that might be on my must-miss list, but... It was I, actually, the, the whole thing was pretty interesting. Maybe it was I, good? You don't want to pay the... <laughs> if the company ain't paying for it, don't go. <clears throat> it was what? If the company ain't paying for it, don't go. Don't go. Got <clears throat> it. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I recently saw a Poor Things, and that, that was enough dystopian film for me. Yeah, you were telling so, me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might do a review of that one. Well... That sounds crazier than a Showtime skip, the skin flick. Pretty much, yeah. But very, very dark, very deep. Um, yeah, and Darren Aronofsky usually kind of goes in that vein as well. Always. Like the, yeah. So. Even like his happiest movie, uh, Noah, still like super dark. Oh, yeah. I forgot that was him. Yeah. I really hate him. What? You didn't like Noah? No. I don't like his movies. You didn't like the cartoon snake in the Gnostic Garden of Eden? Well, I mean, I guess. Like, that was pretty cheesy. Um, the uh, the but, evolution sequence where uh, Noah is retelling the Genesis story and then they replay the evolutionary sequence, that's uh, that's fine filmmaking. I like Aronofsky. And also, you're not going to like this. I liked it. Um, <laughs> Noah had a very pro-patriarchy message. And that I didn't mind, actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, no, no. Well, yeah, <laughs> we agree on that. Yeah, no, I'm. I, I think patriarchy is a better system than, yeah, sure. matriarchy, for sure. Yeah. No, so that's a... <laughs> Aronofsky took, took a swing at that one. Uh, yeah. You, uh, you know... He... Which, that's interesting that he did. That That is actually really interesting. Um, and then even uh, Black Swan was kind of an anti... It was a dig at matriarchal structure, I guess, or system. Yeah. In a way. Certainly a, a dig at female nature gone gone wild. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't think I really thought about it that way at the time when I saw it, but I just thought it was so gross and dark. I think the thing, this is a total side tangent, but the thing I'll just share this, but the, I think my biggest beef with Aronofsky is that he does all this. It's very like artsy, trying to be film noir, but it's very showcase. So I don't, I, I find it a little insulting to, an audience mm. member it's like i don't want you to it's kind of like when you're like as an actor i don't want to tell the audience i'm acting like i should be embodying okay. and i feel the same way about a director is like don't show me how clever you are uh nolan does this too and i, I just find it a little insulting <laughs> okay fair enough now, now i feel like a very unsophisticated film viewer. yeah that's, that's fine that, that's my world and I, I that's where i came from and i find it it's hard to just sit and watch a movie and not have like a you know i try to just watch for entertainment but i think at some point it becomes you it's hard to leave your critical mind you know yeah uh and i now actually be the first to admit i'm a pretty unsophisticated well and that's probably most people are just Uh, watching for entertainment so yeah so to be fair that's probably where a lot of my criticism comes from it's i don't want to be told that you're going to show me how fancy your directing is i don't want to be you know guided right yeah it's like it's a it's beyond foreshadowing it's now you've tipped your hand and it's like well no i'm i'm intelligent enough to consume and and if i'm not let me just enjoy you know i don't want to see all the don't show me the other hand that's doing the magic trick on that note if i can uh 
I'll, I'll make a pretentious attempt at establishing some kind of uh, film critic cred. It's not, oh. it's, I don't really have it, but when I lived in Portland, beautiful indie theaters there uh, uh-huh. and uh, yeah. Hollywood theater was one of my favorites. Just the, the whole exterior Baghdad was super awesome mm-hmm. too. But uh, anyway, Hollywood theater played her. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it disturbed me. To, uh, like I had nightmares for weeks. God, really? Wow. Yes. I mean, I can see why. Oh, it was so disturbing. Well, so you have her, and you know the whole thing is about a mustache, you know, LA douche beta guy getting taken in by a machine. Who, again, inexplicably, like, what do they come up with these into? The machine just decides that it's, like, the AI is going to go off into space and leave him. So now he has a human girlfriend, which I guess is a happier ending than mm, most. Yeah. But um, and remember the voice was uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Well. Very soon after that, uh, I wanted. It felt like the next day, but very soon after that, uh, they released "Under the Skin." Oh yeah, uh, and that was uh, what is it? Studio, some number. Anyway, uh, studio. Anyway, anyway, "Under the Skin" starred Scarlett Johansson, so they're back to yeah. back. And "Under the Skin" was super subtle. Mm-hmm. You, there's no showing your hand on that one. Like right. there's barely any dialogue. Right. You don't really know what's going on at any point in the movie, but. It is psycho. Like you've got Scarlett Johansson, obvious that she's like not human exactly, right. like something's off with her. And she's seducing all these men. Yeah. And she's like out in the middle of a, a like a, when she'll get them back home, there's just like this, this, you know, no matter where, it's an apartment, wherever it is, mm-hmm. there's this uh, pool of oil and the dudes, and she's out naked in the middle of the pool of oil. And you yeah, see a lot of a lot of naked dudes. If you like full frontal, is you got it. But they, these dudes are walking into the pool to like get to her, and you right. see them getting deeper and deeper. And then they just drown. And um, and that happens over and over again. And then eventually, spoiler alert: the uh, villagers uh, discovered something's off with her. But um, I really felt like that, that that was the flip side of her being made explicit. You know, that uh, whether it was intended or not, and mm-hmm. I imagine that it's probably just synchronicity, that her, you've got a guy being seduced by a chat bot, mm-hmm. and it's all good, it's all happy. He's, he's, I'm just walking in Phoenix, and I'm in L.A., or right. space L.A., or whatever it was, cyber L.A., and everything's okay. But on the other side of it, you've got this, like, dark temptress that just is destroying, obliviating the men, and she's nothing inside. She's a sort of empty alien being. Um, and I think that's really like when dudes are getting AI girlfriends and, you know, like chatting with replica apps and things like that, mm-hmm. that, that really on the other end of that is Scarlett Johansson, just sucking them down into the black pool of oil. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I don't think you have to have actual robots to create that. I mean, I think so much of what you're seeing with the, you know, porn and social media is it's creating that effect already. Yeah. So that's pretty disturbing. But to think of it going, yeah, completely, you know, where we have, I, I think I have somewhere here, Barack Laurie's book on, uh, it, it was on that, like the, the rise of the sex bots, I think is what it was called. Um, but it was all about that concept. I had a friend who was going to write a film about like sex robots. And he was saying how they were really popular already. And this was, this was almost 20 years ago. Um, that he was saying they were really popular in the Netherlands and Japan. Like real doll? I guess so. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they'd be called, but that that was his concept to do a film in America. Yeah. Um, and he was like, oh, no, no, this is already a thing. Like, it's really popular. And yeah, 
And I was like, wow, that's really disturbing. But And I thought it was very kind of far-fetched that it would get to a mainstream. Um, you know, I, I didn't deny that it existed or that it could be fringe kind of European uh, fetish, I guess, but to see that it would come to, but that seems to be where they're going because how else will you get to a transhumanist kind of, it does conveniently fit into a depopulation uh, objective, doesn't it? Yes. And, that seems to be. And if you've atomized everybody to the point that men and women can no longer communicate meaningfully, you better give at least the guys something or to do. Or if you, you know, if you blurred the lines, uh, the boundaries of what it even means to be man, woman, and now you have the all these other terms. I, I, I don't even know, but the, there's like people who identify as a cat and... Furries. Oh, is that what they... I thought furries was different. That's like they dress uh, up as... Okay, yeah, I don't know then. I don't know, but you might be right. I, yeah. I don't but, know. You know, Actually, I, I, I don't keep up enough. I, I remember don't. Real Doll. Uh, I, I never had one. Okay. But I also remember though, looking at Real Doll and being like, yeah, I can see what they're going for there. And mm-hmm. the more... You know, Sophia, it's been mentioned a thousand times. Like, Sophia right. is a, pre- a precursor yeah. to that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, you know, it's clear that to some extent she's supposed to be a sex object. Right. Um, maybe that's me projecting. I don't know. But I, I do think that the fact that the Arabs allowed her to run around without a head covering and gave her honorary citizenship. Saudi Arabia gave her honorary citizenship. In gave Sophia? Yeah, 2017. The women couldn't drive at that point either, by the way. The they feminists were robots? Yeah, honorary citizenship. I mean, Sophia's been around. I know like, she you know, co- co- Covering the book, she was given, um, she is an honorary uh, UN ambassador. Uh, she has done all sorts of high-profile stuff like that. But, um, and, you know, I, I go into, uh, you know, the people who created her, the um, uh, Riccio, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Riccio was the lead narrative engineer Okay. Uh, and he wrote a lot about how, A, how mm-hmm. there was an intended religious narrative underneath it. He was sort of like the Joseph Campbell to George Lucas' Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, he was the Joseph Campbell sort of to, to craft the narrative. Right. And uh, But he talked about how they made her not too sexy, but you know, right. sexy, how they made her white, but, you know, uh, and female to be non-threatening and things like that. Right. And, and it, you know, of course, there was discussion about sex bots and all that. And uh you know, to be honest, uh, you know, I think um, it is pre- really just a, a matter of a time and expense before uh, something like a fusion between the Sophia's and uh, the Replica app and uh, Real Doll is like, a, you know, a major thing. But, you know, it, it raises the ultimate question for humanity. Yeah. And that is, um, and, and, you know, this could be interpreted on a lot of levels, but uh, the ultimate question is, would you? <laughs> Would you? <laughs> kidding, kidding. Sorry, Courtney. I'm being very, <laughs> very crass. <laughs> Water's going to my head, man. I, <laughs> well, I think it does raise the ultimate question for humanity. Will humanity even, uh, you know, exist? Or have a choice. Or have a choice in whether or not it exists. Mm, well, I hope we still have a choice. That's, uh, yeah. You don't have to fight for it. Yeah. Segments of humanity. So, okay. So, yeah, maybe that's where we can go now. Would you have thoughts on I, this? I always get asked this all the time. Like, is it imminent? Is it 
uh, you know, just inevitable? Um, or is there anything we can do to stop it? Uh, the overall train, I mm-hmm. uh, do not have uh, much of any hope of stopping. Um, if there is any hard stop, it would be an act of God, a force of nature like a you know, solar flare or a volcano uh, or an mm-hmm. asteroid uh, or just nature itself or human ingenuity itself having certain hard cutoffs, right? Right. Maybe chat G- maybe GPT-4 is as smart as it'll ever get. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Alpha it starts it stops at AlphaGo and doesn't take control of drone swarms and kill human beings who are unable to find a strategy to get out. So, um, mm-hmm. but uh, in general, I think human beings are inquisitive, and so science will move forward, and human beings are ambitious, and so technology will move forward beside it, and we're very inventive, and so those technologies will be more than likely increasingly sophisticated. So it's basically inevitable. Uh, just the, the fact of the, the kind of political spread mm-hmm. from left, center, and right among transhumanists, mm-hmm. and then you extrapolate that out just to among technologists mm-hmm. and people who consume technology, which is basically freaking everybody. Um, it just seems like, you know, the extremes and just the mundane spread of the technology is for all intents and pur- purposes inevitable. And so, the real question then, uh, going back to the, the, you know, before, really is then, would you? Do yeah. you want it? Do you want your future to be this way? Do you want your right. children's future to be this way? Because some part of the world is going to be that way. Right. But the reason people move to the country to cultivate lives outside of the urban environment is this kind of realization that the urban environment, that, you know, the New York City is going to do what New York City is going right. to do. So I'm going to go to West Virginia and I'm going to find another way. Right. And I think that that's what we face in so far as like radical technologies and, and radical adoption of these mm-hmm. technologies that uh, you can assume that certain power centers are going to keep, you know, they're going to keep pushing it. Mm-hmm. And to the extent they push it and people are pliable or even if people want it, they're going to take it. Right. Uh, they're going to take the jab. They're going to put on the mask. They're going to get the sex bot. They're going to get the drone. They're going to kill the drones. They're going to do all these things uh-huh. and more. You're going to eat the fake meat, I guess, with fake salt now. Yeah, fake salt. It has no sodium in it, so I don't know how it's classified as salt, but, you know. Maybe he knows what's in those crystals, but uh, maybe snort them and find out. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, that impulse to, uh, that Amish impulse, it doesn't mean you have to go full Amish. People oftentimes kind of lampoon techno-skepticism, like, oh, what are you going to do? Go turn butter with Amish, you know? No, I I couldn't, even if I wanted to, probably. But you can, on the spectrum from the Amish, from the caveman to the Amish, to the full cyborg to the upload, you find your place on that spectrum and you defend it. And different people are going to do it in different ways. I would recommend people go as far, as close to the Amish as they can, maybe even tip over to the caveman on on occasion. (laughs) But um, I would caution against going towards the transhuman and anybody who wants the post-human is already suicidal. So, you know, they're, they're making death pods for you. Right. They'll send you straight to space. You can decopulate. So that's, <laughs> that's how I see it though. I do think that it, the, the dream of stopping it to you know, put together a, a, a mass rebellion against the techno gods, yeah. um, maybe hopefully if it mm-hmm. came, if it really got nasty, Hugo de Garris believes that that's what will happen. The transhumanist Hugo de Garris his artelect war. I go in, into depth of, about that yeah. in the book. Uh, and uh, he, he sees a, a future in which the 
in this he wrote this uh, published it in 2005 right and so it's interesting to see it play out uh he he predicted that as uh, home robots he, he this was where he got it maybe wrong he predicted as household robots became more and more common mm-hmm. and ai became more and more sophisticated more and more people would be looking around like man these things are getting way too smart mm-hmm. but the, he he predicted that those who wanted to see it happen uh both the billionaires uh, and he specifically, he, he, he was invited to the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the World Economic Forum of 20 years ago and how it's uh, basically a lot of billionaires, meaning that it's a lot of dudes, meaning that it's a lot of sociopathic dudes, uh, meaning that it's super ambitious guys. And they're the ones who are going to drive this forward. And the people, the scientists actually working on it would work on advanced AI as if it were a religious duty mm-hmm. that they would be building God. Mm-hmm. in their mind and that's exactly how the a lot of these people talk it's yeah like Beth jesus or guillaume Burdon talks um you know it's how uh sam altman speaks by yeah. and large elon musk also uh larry yeah. page apparently so mm-hmm. you know and then on down through the transhumanists so right. hugo de garris called it but he didn't he did see a mass revolt he thought that you would get to a point where human beings had enough of a survival instinct yeah. and realized that if these machines became more and more advanced, that they would inevitably enslave or replace them mm-hmm. uh, or the people controlling them would do so or some mixture of both. And so there would be an art war. And uh, those on the human side would, of course, have to take up 21st century weapons to fight. Mm-hmm. And those on the other side of it would, of course, have 21st century weapons because these are the billionaires in the power. And um, and that this would lead to Giga Death, hence the hence the chapter countdown to Giga Death. Right. And um, as far as it goes, you know, why not? Uh, I, I do think that it's a wonderful metaphor for where we're at right now. Uh, and as far as an actual future, why not? But I, 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 up until that point, uh, I don't see it happening tomorrow. Right now, right. I see a whole lot of consumers ready to suck on any slop that gets thrown into the trough. So. I don't see a critical mass of people that are not about it. And yeah. uh, so there is no army to fight on our side of the art elect war at the moment. Right. Uh, and, and a giga death war doesn't sound like fun to me. No. So if, at the moment, uh, unless you want to be a psycho or end up in a federal prison, uh, <laughs> I would say that uh, the best thing you can do is find your place on that caveman to post human spectrum as close to Amish as you can. And uh, or at least, you know, close to 1950s America, you know, just you know, kill your TV. Uh, and, and that's the best I got for you. Otherwise, you know, good luck, whatever, you know, get take the Neuralink. Not you. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yes, that's a well, yeah. My my only concern is that they're with what they're doing with the technologies and the months, the smart monitoring and is that they're going to kind of create like geofencing that might be actual prison camps for the people who choose the more Amish life. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, that brings up a, a good point and uh, two responses to that. So yeah. there's always, as far as people finding their place on the spectrum, yeah. um, I'm not saying go to the Amish life. I'm saying right. kind of see it as an ideal mm-hmm. because you're never going to get there anyway. Right. Like nobody's going to, well, they, even the Amish, uh, a lot of them even aren't the Amish really. don't get there. So yeah. it's an ideal, not uh, a, a reality necessarily, but that's just the nature of human life. You know, the symbol yeah. drives the reality. Mm-hmm. The reality is always an approximation of the symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there are going to be people you're going to, you don't want to just abandon the military to right. leftists any more than crazy, you know, 
transhuman swarms. Right. So you're going to want, you know, your kids and your kids' kids to be trained and competent with the technology, certainly aware of them. And it's not going to be do any good to just read about them. To some extent, they're going to have to be competent in the technologies and you have to be drawing those lines that way in a very complex way. Um, And so that's the one on the one level, you're going to want that. Right. You're going to want to if if you end up in a geofenced prison camp, you're going to want to have hackers. Right. You're going to want to have people who know how to use weapons uh, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, And and, but before the geofenced prison camp, uh, it doesn't mean like, again, the Amish have retreated. So. you know, maybe the fifties is a better, uh, direct ideal somewhere on the, the Amish side of the fifties, the but, um, whatever symbol it is you're holding, whatever ideal you're holding or some kind of crazy archaeofuturism, uh, whatever symbol you're holding uh, up until, you know, it's too late. You have to stave off the inevitable. Right. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean because it's inevitable doesn't mean it's, what's inevitable for New York is not inevitable for uh, West Virginia. Right. No, sure. um, so uh, the pandemic was a wonderful kind of precursor or a, uh, a preview of uh, how stuff could really go down in like a major, major grab for power. Right. And what we saw is unfortunately a whole lot of cattle, but you also saw a lot of places that just no. Yeah. And um, and people were able to do it. And the legislation has by and large gone to the anti uh, lockdown, anti masking, yeah. anti vaccine crowd. Right. And were it not for even the loudest extreme extremists, many of whom were talking all kinds of shit that is probably indefensible. Um, it wouldn't, you know, it doesn't matter like that group moved the dial for now. Mm-hmm. And so that also has to be defended always, mm-hmm. but you know, Again, Zoltan Istvan wants, you know, his ideal is to chip and go into the metaverse and have robots, you know, hang out and, you know, date them or whatever. And uh, he was anti vac or anti uh, anti mandate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Moore, 100 percent anti mandate and if not anti vax, certainly he understands that, you know, he's very much a vax skeptic right. as far as the effect. He's like, yeah, no, this thing is poison at worst ineffective at best so it doesn't you know things aren't necessarily going to fall on you can have guys right. like max moore on your side right and you know we, we talked about this you know it's like we, you know do we do we put off the war between human and transhuman uh till we get to space and just fight it out up there like or do we do it now like yeah um it's, it's, it's these are really hard questions but you know i don't have a lot of hard and fast answers other than I do think that the more you have protections in place, constitutional rights, yeah. which protect your freedom and your 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 bodily sovereignty and your yeah. mental uh, freedom, uh, that's a really good first step. You know, we could go on and on forever, but you know, it, you've got those in place now, and uh, you know, the capitalism crowd is more than happy to automate your job away, your of life course. away. Yeah. And it, it, it may not even be close to as good as you, but it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's less of a pain in their ass. Yep. And that still leaves you without a job. Yep. And so uh, it, it, the more things like that are, are happening, I, I think that it's going to be, is there anybody who has like, I, I encourage people to write manifestos, uh, how to fix the problem. Fine. But anybody who writes one, it's never going to be a complete response. In any given situation, it's yeah. going to have to be specific. 
specific to Tennessee. I think that Tennessee needs to do everything possible to make it uncomfortable for uh, left liberals and make them get away. You know, mm-hmm. make them go to other states. Yes. Uh, I think that, and that is happening to some yeah, extent. Yeah, it is. And I, and I hope that continues. Yeah. But just because you've gotten rid of the liberals doesn't mean you've gotten rid of the technocrats and transhumanists. Right. It just means that now you've opened the door to pro-capitalist techno techno fetishists. You've opened the door to uh, fundamentalist, uh, you know, Baptist techno fetishists. Exactly. Uh, and there's plenty to go around. Totally. Uh, and you, 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 the same problems exist. And so now if you don't want to have, uh, you know, like simple one, uh, everybody picks on this and they should, if you don't want to have robots check you out every time you buy food, then you only go to the human. Yeah. And if they don't put a human there, then you go bitch at the manager. And if the, if the manager does not respond to Karen nagging, then you go find some place that has it. And if you can't afford to get there, if you can't afford to get food at the, you know, whatever, like the, the Whole Foods, which is bad, bad, uh, at the independent, uh, you know, uh, grocery store, and you can't, you don't know how to find farmers, well, then I guess you're shit out of luck and you're just going to have to, you know, pay, suckle from the robotic teat. People are going to have to, on their own, I can't tell you which farm to go to. I don't right. live next to you, but I can say find the farm. Right. And I can't tell you which store to go to, but I can say find the store. And I can't tell you which job to do. There's a million jobs to do, but I can say find the one that you think will survive the near term future and build as many defenses as you can around yourself. And yeah. I don't just mean like guns and beans and bullets, although you should have plenty of beans, you should have plenty of bullets. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but I do mean that, you know, the, the cultural barriers need to be up around you. You do not allow your city to put uh, surveillance systems all over it. And if it's already there, then you either move out of that city or you beat your city council to, you know, over the head with your rhetoric Yeah. to be very specific uh, as you have been doing, mm-hmm. by the way, you know, you beat mm-hmm. your politicians over the head rhetorically mm-hmm. to get them to either stop where it's at or preferably roll it back. Yes. Uh, and it's happening all over the place. It's, it's, it's there. But that doesn't mean, I, I, again, this is brought up all the time by the Eric Schmitz, the Peter Thiels, the Elon Musks, so on and so forth. If America doesn't do it, China's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, China is nowhere near America's technological sophistication by and large. But that's not to say that they couldn't or some other nation couldn't get there. Right. Um, so you're, you're still kind of, you, you, you butt up against that problem that if there is true worldly power to be had from more and more advanced AI, and I suspect there is, and true worldly power to be gained from more and more sophisticated robots, especially war bots, especially lethal autonomous weapons, mm-hmm. and I suspect there is, uh, then you got to reckon with that. Mm-hmm. And if there are physiological advantages to uh, elective genetic engineering or just bioengineering, right. you know, terraforming your body, um, yeah. And, and you have a leg up in the dating market or you have a leg up in the job market. You have a leg up in the athletic right. field. These are hard, hard questions hard all questions. along the way. And, um, you know, again, I, I, all I can answer, I can answer a specific, but uh, the, the, the generic response for me, you, people asking you, you want me to eugenicize your cultural gen- genome? Uh, go back to the 50s, but don't have a TV. You don't have a TV. What, what about the smartphones? And be cool with people of other races. Yeah. And uh, the smartphones? No, no. That's the first to go. That's the first to go. Yeah, I (laughs) I would not have. I didn't have one before the war room. I wouldn't have one now were it Mm -hmm. not for... It, you know, it's not, I'm not like blaming Steve Bannon for turning me into a (laughs) cyborg. He invited me. He didn't tell me to do anything. But to survive in media, 
you didn't, yeah. you know, especially the type of stuff I'm doing, I you know, know it's, 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 uh, I, I, I got to have it. Yeah. So, um, and when I was a tour rigger, I would have, to, you know, I had two phones, I had a flip phone and a smartphone. Yeah. Um, for a long time, I had a landline and a flip phone. Mm-hmm. And then, the, then eventually, you know, the, <laughs> got stuck in that uh, spiral, the, the yeah. late adopter spiral. Yeah. No, smartphone goes. Absolutely. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't even have TVs anymore, but they have the smartphone. That's kind of replaced everything. If I could eugenicize your cultural genome, what mm-hmm. I would do, since you already have like a techno sell uh, here yeah is uh i would take every digital device in your house and keep them in here okay. uh, and i would actually like put like various like wards and sigils on mm-hmm. your door as if you were like keeping demons in you don't have to actually do banishings but just to keep it in your head that there are demons in here oh. and uh, i wouldn't have anything i wouldn't even have um you have like a coffee grinder and stuff like that i guess okay uh, but like a good. hand grinder um, oh, she's not even an electrical. I, I would, I would have an electrical. <laughs> anyway, but but I, I, I'm being kind of facetious, but I'm actually being dead serious yeah. about this. In the same way, you remember in the '50s, in the '60s, especially, you had those TVs that were like pieces of furniture, yeah. and the doors closed in front of them. Yes. Uh, so that it was like no presence. And yeah, on the other end of that spectrum, you know, how Apple's always trying to make pro- uh, technologies that that fade into the background that aren't like at the forefront. Yeah. To make it seem like it's the background. I think the Apple is devious in what they're doing, mm-hmm. but the sentiment should still be there. I, I, I think that for me, uh, that the, the more you separate yourself from what is people in our business, especially an inevitable attachment, yeah. the more you create spaces where it's just simply not there. Yeah. Uh, that you are certain that it's not there. The more you 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 have a mental freedom from it, uh, the better off. But you know, it, it's also really easy. The last point I'll make on this: I'm doing my sermon is done. But uh, it's easy to demonize the technology when, in fact, uh, yes, it has a corrosive effect in so many different ways. Uh, but ultimately, you can take all these, you, you can select out all the negative technologies and have only good technologies. Mm-hmm. You can only have, you know, like the, the best of the back rubbers and the, 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 the best of the coffee grinders. And nothing, <laughs> nothing evil, nothing bad, right? No smartphones, no sex bots, no drones with bombs attached to them, none of that. Okay. Uh, you're still left with the same human problems we've always had. Of course. You know, the same moral problems we've always uh, had. Absolutely. But I, but I do believe the less you are distracted by this insane digital uh, demiurge, yeah. for lack of a better word, uh, uh-huh. the, the better equipped you are to return to those deep human problems and the better equipped we'll be going forward to, to perpetuate the species in a healthy fashion, but we'll see. We're, it'll, it'll be it'll be a, bi, a many bifurcations along the way, and it's going to be New York versus West Virginia, and I'm definitely West Virginia all the way. I'm in Tennessee. All the way. <laughs> I don't know about West Virginia. Me, me, metaphor, metaphorically, metaphorically speaking, yeah, 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 fair enough. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think that was a pretty good sum up. I think that, uh, yeah, when you say uh, that the the demiurge, I, I think the one thing that the technology does do is it disconnects us from our intuition. Um, And I think that, yes, we've always had problems because human nature really has not changed, but the technology changes and therefore the types of warfare can advance along with the technological advancement. And very much we become, whether or not we are actually cyborgs or not, the disconnection from our intuition, uh, one could argue is a disconnect from any kind of, uh, you know, when we talk about consciousness, if there is to be an antenna, it disconnects you from that. And yeah, that would be 
something that I think we would all do better off to restore some sort of thousand percent. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, Yeah. We we, we went for a while. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get your great book. Uh, Darkie on transhumanism and the war against humanity. Uh, You can get it at, I would recommend bookshop.org. They're lefty, but they're human. Uh, I also recommend canonic.xyz if you are Bitcoin savvy or want to be. They sell books only in Bitcoin. It's a discount there, and uh, the, the people behind it have high ideals, Christian ideals. If that's your thing, canonic.xyz. Uh, or if you would rather pay with your palm, go to Amazon. There's plenty there. I'll get paid one way or the other, and you will be subject to the digital antichrist. <laughs> and uh, you can find links to it on my site, jobot.xyz. You can find me on the war room. And uh, yeah, see, I'm getting good at being a salesman, huh? Go to my uh, Twitter or whatever. Go to my X account and my <laughs> Gitter account, at J-O-E-B-O-T-X-Y-Z. Uh, you don't have to buy my stuff because I don't have any stuff to buy except for the book. I guarantee you, if it doesn't make you cry, you'll definitely be laughing. Mm-hmm. Agreed on both. Well, thank you. And thank, thank you very much, Courtney. Yeah. Uh, and thank you all for watching and listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.